Well, I've got 6.30 on my end. So Chair, I think we are ready to roll when you are. Very good, thank you, Kyle. Um, welcome everybody to the um, January 24th, 2022 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan um, Planning Commission. Before launching in, I will turn it over to Becky Pepper who will read the, uh, the resume rules who will hear. Thank you very much. Good evening, my name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission room is Kyle Kobe, who will be facilitating the Zoom portion of the meeting. Jeff Crick, the Planning and Development Services Director, will be joining us via Zoom. We will work alongside the Chair and Vice Chair, who are also on remote video, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the City's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you're participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distraction during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title each uh, before you speak for the benefit of uh, those participating remotely. During general public comment, individuals participating in person should approach the podium following social distancing and safety protocols. Individuals are required to wear a mask, but they may remove their mask and make remarks at the podium. Please state your name before speaking and your comments will be limited to three minutes. Individuals providing comment via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your device and state your name before speaking. Again, comments will be limited to three minutes. Finally, I want to again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you are not speaking and I'll turn the meeting over to the chair. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Luke Sinclair, um, chair. Uh, again, welcome everybody. So tonight, I just wanted to um, say at the outset is um, uh, we only have one item on our uh, agenda tonight and it's a study session um, to consider the, uh, the workings of the solar text amendment. It's a non-public um, hearing item um, and so when we're considering that, when we move to the study session, we won't have any time for public comment, but whoever is on the call or in person, we certainly welcome you and are glad that you're here watching um, and participating. Uh, that said though, uh, before we get to that point in the meeting, um, we have to run through some housekeeping items. And the last of those things is a time for general public comment. Um, and that's typically reserved for people that want to offer um, comments about items that are on the agenda. Um, it's, it, you have latitude to talk about what you like to bring to our attention. And so I will point that out when we get there and you'll have three minutes if anyone is in person or on the Zoom call that wants to touch base um, on any items they, they wish to bring to our attention. Um, so with that, uh, first I'd like to um, uh, go to committee reports. Are there any reports from um, any committees aside from the solar text amendment ad hoc um, committee that, that would like to um, provide an update? 
Don't see any. <clears throat> um, so then we'll move on to section C of our agenda, communications. Are there any written communications from the public that we need to receive that were not in the packet? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. All the communications were included in your packet this evening. Thank you, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. How about any communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners um, that need to be received? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. None this evening. Okay. And then what about, um, are there any written actions of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer that we need to receive? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services, also none this evening. Okay. Um, are there any commissioners that wish to declare an abstention from the one uh, thing we want to have our study session about tonight? I hope not. Um, thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Then as I uh, uh, gave a hint about earlier, now is a time that we like to entertain general public comment. If there's anybody um, here tonight on the call or in person that wants to offer public comment, now's your time to do so. It, the, the limit is three minutes and we'll, um, we'll uh, if you uh, exceed that, I'll probably just jump on and, and gently um, uh, remind you of that time limit. Uh, and so with that, I guess if there's anybody, maybe just to, so it's smooth, we can have anybody that's in person that wishes to speak go first, and then we can transition to people that are on the Zoom call. Kyle Kobe with planning. Uh, we do have one person here in person who, um, yeah. sorry, uh, wait, just, just one moment, please. Okay. with planning. Yes, we do have one person who's going to be speaking in person after that. We can transition over to um, Zoom public comment. So if you want to go ahead and raise your hand via Zoom, we will call on you uh, in the order that, that you appear. And this is Luke Sinclair, Chair. Just before uh, public comment starts, if you wouldn't mind um, stating your name and uh, giving your address just so we have that record. That'd be great. Thank you. I'm Carrie Raven, 450 East 2300 Road. And um, I know that we're not supposed to make public comment about the agenda per se, right, tonight. Um, so Karen had, um, Willie had let us know that we could make some comments about other general topics. So I, the one thing I wanted to just let you know tonight is I came and dropped off for all of the planning commission board members and also the commissioners. Um, I don't know, you can see each one of you has a printed version of what we emailed in digitally for the registered voter citizen petitions, online comments, and then also um, the curated citizen content that we put together with the QR codes and the links to the information on the website, rather than print out a, you know, foot thick document. The only thing that's printed in this are the petitions and um, then the facing pages have the QR codes and the URLs to get to the web 
content. So each of you has that. And Becky, I think you and it's Aubrey are going to be kind enough to take those back. And I know you're all not in the office um, per se every day, but they are here for you and ready for you to pick up if you would like printed versions. So just wanted to announce that. And then the other thing I didn't know if you all were aware of, but um, our, our Kansas Senator, uh, Mike Thompson, he has uh, three bills that he is putting forth this week to be heard. And I just wanted to make you guys aware because we're pretty happy um, that he's doing this. The first one is Senate Bill 325, and it's a local government um, committee presentation um, that he put he's putting forth. Um, what is today? Tuesday, right? So he did that today. Um, he drafted, it's um, it's to push back against corrupt practices. And I'm just reading from his Facebook post. You can go see it yourself out on uh, Mike Thompson, Senator's uh, Facebook page. But push back against corrupt practices in counties where industrial wind and solar companies use sneaky tactics to threaten and intimidate non-leaseholders and county officials. This bill forces public disclosure of leases within a certain time frame so as to create transparency in the process, which we all, you know, know that's been an issue. It has also it also gives those directly impacted by these intrusive facilities a voice in the matter by being able to put zoning for these facilities to a vote. It's all providing transparency and ethical behavior. And then the other two Senate bills, 323 and 324, will be heard in the Utilities Committee. Um, not That didn't happen today, but it will, will soon. Um, Senate Bill 323 simply gives anyone who is thinking about signing a lease the time and the, and the suggestion that they seek legal counsel before doing so. Many landowners are put under extreme pressure and this bill is a protective measure for them. And then the last one, Senate Bill 324, gives landowners a way out of a lease if the industrial wind or solar companies do not perform certain tasks within a reasonable time frame. Many of the leases for these facilities tie up a leaseholder's land for decades in situations where there is not progress towards building the facility after five years, this bill would allow landowners the option to get out of the lease so they can use their land as they see fit. Again, it's about transparency and protection for Kansas landowners out in our rural areas. So I just wanted to make you aware of those three Senate bills because I think that's pretty awesome. He's a very good voice for uh, the citizens of Kansas. Um, that's really all I had to say tonight. So thank you very much. And I'll let you guys continue on with your work session stuff. I don't know if there's other online public comments, but um, there was some confusion on tonight's meeting, public, in-person, virtual only. So, but uh, I think some other people may be online. Not sure. I can't connect and I don't have audio out there. So... Is there any way to get audio out there so I can hear? If not, um, I can try and log in to the Zoom meeting from here. Thank you all. Thank you, Ms. Brandon. Appreciate it. Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, Kyle, I see, I think I see one hand raised. I don't know if you see any others. Kyle, okay, with planning, I'm just seeing the one as well. Yeah. I see um, Stephen Clark. Um, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself and uh, feel free to offer comment for three minutes. Yes, thank you. Can you hear me all right? Yes. 
thank you for um, for taking my comment. My name is Steve Clark. I'm a professional engineer in the area of power generation. My address is 3422 Kensington Court in El Dorado Hills, California. I was born and raised in Johnson County and lived there and raised my family for over 40 years. I have relatives that live in Southwest Johnson County that uh, are interested in uh, leasing their land. Tonight, I'd like to speak to you about the reality of climate change and about the damage that climate change deniers like Senator Mike Thompson would do to um, Johnson County, Douglas County, the entire state of Kansas if they get their way. Senator Thompson is on record for wanting to oppose any further wind uh, power farms within the entire state. His goal that he announced in person and in writing is that he would like to prevent any solar farms from being built in either Johnson or Douglas County. Part of his premise is that there is no man-made climate change, that it's all a charade. As you know, Mike Thompson is a longtime TV meteorologist. Well, over 97% of actual climate scientists believe the data and the science that we are in a period of unprecedented climate change and that it's driven primarily by human burning of fossil fuels. In Northeast Kansas and across Kansas, we are extremely dependent on coal-fired power plants, such as the one um, just outside of Lawrence and the even larger project at Lacine, Kansas, which is over a thousand megawatts. These projects, these power plants when operating pump out literally millions of tons of CO2 each year. I'd like to point out to you that independent scientists have uh, been taking measurements of atmospheric, excuse me, carbon dioxide uh, measurements at Mauna Loa Observatory on the Big Island in Hawaii since 1960. In that time, a little over 60 years, the atmospheric CO2 has increased from 315 parts per million to 420 parts per million. The only reason for this increase is human activity, in particular, the burning of fossil fuels for power generation and for transportation and other uses. I'd like to uh, state uh, a quote from climaterealityproject.org. This is a quote. Carbon pollution from burning fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas is warming our planet and causing climate change. It's simple. The more carbon pollution in the air, the more the sun's energy gets trapped as heat, which means things keep getting hotter. We've almost certainly heard the phrase global warming. In fact, the world has already gotten nearly one degree C. That's about one and a half degrees Fahrenheit warmer since 1880. Uh, sea levels have ris risen almost eight inches, and extreme weather events like hurricanes, floods, and droughts are becoming more frequent and intense. Here in California, the worst two fire seasons on records happened in 2020 and 2021. It's simply because it's hotter and drier. There Mr. is a... Uh, yes. I'm sorry, if you can finish your thought. You're, you've passed the uh, three-minute mark, but go ahead and finish your thought. 
Thank you. Climate changing uh, or climate change deniers like Mike Thompson want you to say no to solar energy and other renewable energy. That's irresponsible and not in the public interest for any of us. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you very much, Mr. Clark. Um, any other members of the public that wish to speak? Um, you go ahead and raise your hand on the call if you can. Hi, okay, we was planning. I'm not seeing any hands going up at this time. And we don't have any other in-person uh, public participation. Okay. okay. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, if anybody is, is on the Zoom call or um, by video or um, on the phone, you know, press the raise hand button. I think if you're on the phone, it's star nine, perhaps. Um, I'll just give maybe a couple more seconds here if you're uh, a little ambivalent about talking and there's a chance you might still. I'm not seeing any hands shooting up at this point. Um, okay. Well, I mean, just so if if you're on the call and you're not sure, just so you know, this isn't the last time this will be in front of us. This is a, a study session, as I uh, mentioned earlier. Um, the Planning Commission has these sorts of study sessions on occasion to be able to um, work through and hash out um, uh, issues and it will be back at some point uh, for public hearing um, and at that time you'll certainly be welcome to comment then. Um, so with that I will go ahead and we'll close the general public comment and move into uh, the next part of our agenda um, section D which is our study session and um, since it's a study session uh, a meeting of the whole I think uh, that's actually uh, Vice Chair Ashworth's um, purview. So I'm going to turn it over to her and let her um, run the show here. Thank you, Chair Sinclair. Um, am I coming through? This is Commissioner Ashworth. Okay. Um, well, let's get this started this evening. Um, the purpose of this study session is to give the entire Planning Commission an opportunity to discuss the work done by planning staff and the Planning Commission ad hoc committee on standards for commercial utility scale solar energy conversion systems. Oral public comment on previous drafts of these standards has been received at past commission meetings and the accumulation of written comments is included in tonight's packet. The public will have further opportunities to comment on the issue of utility scale solar. Public comment will be welcome when the standards are next before the Planning Commission and again when the standards come before the Douglas County Board of Commissioners. Between now and those opportunities, we invite the public to review the current draft of the standards and submit any comments and questions to planning staff. Uh, please be aware that what we are considering are standards that will apply to applications for utility scale solar projects. We are not at this time reviewing any applications for any particular project. The outline for tonight's discussion um, is as follows. Mary Miller, planning staff, will give an overview of the standards and a summary of the, some of the changes made since the last draft appeared uh, before the Planning Commission. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, chair of the ad hoc committee, will give a brief overview of the ad hoc committee's work. He will be followed by four members of the ad hoc committee that will summarize uh, the discussions of the ad hoc committee with regard to particular elements of the standards. 
We'll discuss four general categories of, from our multiple, multiple meetings. Um, we will discuss siting issues, neighborhood issues, environmental issues, and larger regulatory issues. Um, following those summaries, the ad hoc committee of the ad hoc committee's work, we're going to open the discussion up to the whole planning commission. Um, that is something the whole planning command commission has not had an opportunity to discuss with the ad hoc committee its work. So this this evening is an opportunity for the planning commission, the whole planning commission, to finally delve into these and see uh, what we've come up with. So. So we're going to wrap up this discussion by noting any outstanding questions to staff, providing a summary of any suggested modifications to the standards made by the Planning Commission and staff, and outlining the next steps we will take in this process. So I'm going to turn the meeting um, over to Mary Miller now, Planning Staff, to present a summary of the standards for reviewing utility-scale solar facilities. Good evening, Commissioners. I'm Mary Miller, City County Planner, and um, I am going to present just briefly on the uh, proposed amendment. I'll share my screen. And I'll just basically start out with a timeline to um, kind of show the history of this amendment. It was initiated by the County Commission in May of 2021. And in June, uh, staff brought draft language to the Planning Commission. Uh, the Planning Commission considered it and returned it to staff with direction for changes. It was brought back in August and the Planning Commission considered it and appointed an ad hoc committee to help um, with certain items that just were undecided and returned that again with direction for action direction for revisions. Uh, they deferred action at the time. And so the ad hoc committee held several meetings with experts and uh, in the field. And it was brought back in November. And the planning commission was brought back only for discussion. Uh, public comments were received, but we did not ask for any action. We just wanted input on some of the items that we hadn't resolved yet. And at that time, the planning commission suggested that it come back in a mid-month meeting, uh, January mid-month. And the mid-month meetings are held, as you know, Mondays at 7.30 a.m. to 9. And as this meeting was available, it was decided it'd be better to hold a study session at this time because we have a longer time frame and it's just more available to more people. So we are here before you with our study session. And I'm just going to go through the major changes. You'll see in your um, agenda packet, there are two versions of the draft language. One is just the draft language with all the changes incorporated. And the other one shows the changes that have been made since the November draft. So deleted text is struck through and new text is shown in bold. Uh, one section we did make quite a few changes to were the definitions. And a lot of our changes uh, we made were based on public comments provided at earlier meetings. So the small scale um, facilities were changed to limited scale. And the size was increased from five acres to 20 acres. So this would include more than just those very small facilities. Um, the energy limit of one MG, whatever that is, was removed. So 20 acres is the governing size for that. And it was remained limited just to show that we were no longer looking at it as being small. We added terms to describe components of the solar facility. And um, the reason this is very important is uh, there's a cap of 1,000 acres per site area. And um, so site area is defined as being the 
accumulation of all the module areas, and then we define module areas. So in the definitions, each one of these terms is defined, and we're going to add a graphic. So it's very clear what we're measuring. So there's no confusion when we look at 1,000 acres, it's clear in everyone's mind what is being measured with that, with that um, figure. We added the term uh, concentrating solar thermal devices. These are the type of solar facilities you usually see in the desert that have the big mirrors and they're very impactful. And uh, the definition added primarily at a standard prohibiting them in Douglas County. This was based on a lot of concerns received from the public with this type of facility. So these would not be possible in Douglas County. Uh, we've made some changes to the standards. Uh, there's a lot of discussion in the previous drafts. You know, some we had various options. You know, how should it be? Uh, should we allow them to be on prime or statewide importance farmland? Should they be on class one and two soils? This is coming before you today with one option, and that is that it would be allowed on prime and statewide important farmlands with limits on grading. No more than five percent of the total project could be graded and there'd be no grading on class one and two soils. And you'll see the little numbers here. These relate to, um, if you're looking at the marked up version, where the changes are, they've all been identified with numbers. It's just easier to find them than looking by sections. Um, another change was to uh, revise the protection standards for environmentally sensitive lands. In the zoning regulations, there is a provision that limits the amount of environmentally sensitive lands that could be protected per parcel to 40% of that parcel. However, with a conditional use permit, um, many times the entire parcel is not used for the conditional use permit. You may have an 80 acre parcel and 30 acres are used. So having that maximum protection limit per parcel um, just really isn't uh, fitting. So that standard was removed and the amount of environmentally sensitive lands that would be protected uh, would be determined with each conditional use permit. Uh, the previous versions did have two setbacks from residences. There was a lot of oscillation between 100 feet and 500 feet. Uh, this draft recommends 500 feet with a waiver provision. Uh, this is a waiver that the property owner could sign with the operator. They could agree to a waiver and to have a reduced setback. And one of the requirements is this waiver would be provided uh, to the planning office, a written evidence of the waiver. And um, when the CUP, if it is approved, these waivers would be recorded with the register of deeds. So it, it'd stay with the land to be information for future owners. Fencing was another item you might recall there were a lot of discussions on and uh, in this draft, well, basically after we met with a lot of the experts, the um, solar operators and some of the agrivoltaic users of these facilities, uh, wildlife fencing is being required for the perimeter. That could be barbed wire, it could be woven wire, uh, but the chain link security fencing, um, that would only be needed uh, where you have maybe battery storage or the higher um, degree of uh, electrical, like electrical facilities. But as far as the facility, the perimeter would be wildlife friendly fencing. And then, the, as I mentioned, we did add uh, wherever there was a waiver possible that those would be recorded with the Register of Deeds. Uh, the noise level, you might recall before, it was 60 decibels at the property line. An additional uh, standard was added that it would also have to be 500 feet from a residence. So if there's a residence um, nearby, that the 60 decibels would be measured 500 feet from the residence just to ensure that um, 
there would be no uh, noise from the facility. And the facility noise is basically just a steady hum. So it's um, it's something that would be impactful, you know, if it just kept going. So this was seen as important protection for residences. And we also added a requirement that noise making equipment be located in the interior of the site. Uh, we've seen these standards with many other um, communities, and it's usually the inverters and um, electrical equipment that humming sound and if they're located in the interior there's usually no issue with the noise level at the property line groundwater testing was added as a standard and then the previous language did note that the county commission could approve modifications from the requirements and the standards um, this has been refined to note the standards that can be approved by modification so the county commission can approve a modification from the limit on the area a 1,000 acres is being uh, recommended as that area limit. The county commission could approve a wave modification from that or from the 15 foot height limit on the solar panels themselves uh, from that 5% maximum total grading per project area and also uh, from the underground lines or above ground lines. Uh, they're required to be underground except in certain cases and it's the county commission that could approve a modification from that. And the regulations actually spell out the process for asking for a modification. They would be requested by the applicant when the application is provided. Staff would review it and provide a recommendation to the Planning Commission along with the recommendation on the CUP. And the Planning Commission would consider the modifications and the conditional use permit and forward them both to the County Commission with recommendations on both. And then it would be the County Commission that would make the final decision on the modifications and the conditional use permit. And in the language for each one of these, there are uh, the justifications or what we would be looking at to see that if we would approve a modification. One of the public comments received in November was that the process for transfer of operator, at that time we were recommending that the CUP go back to the Planning Commission and then on to the County Commission, was onerous just for that one change. And so that was revised so that the transfer operator could be accomplished when the CUP goes back to the County Commission and they would just be considering the reputation, the qualifications of the operator to ensure that they'd be capable of um, running the facility and also handling the reclamation and decommissioning of the facility. And with all our more intense or complicated CUPs, we have one year and five year reviews and these are typically conducted by staff. But in this case of staff, we would recommend that they be conducted by a third party at the operator's expense. And there's also another requirement added. It's an assessment of construction impacts. Um, the piles, you know, when they put in the post to hold the solar arrays up, um, they're pounded in, which can create noise and vibrations. And so this would be assessed with the application and then mitigation measures set. And the most common mitigation measure is um, hours of operation, but then there can be other measures, you know, depending upon the amount of um, construction and the time that it would be in place. So these would be something we'd want to look at with the application. <clears throat> with the application of materials, uh, we had originally or in the previous version, a landscape and vegetation plan. And this is being revised to a landscape plan. This plan just shows the landscaping that would be added in the buffer areas, uh, the landscaping that would have to be added. The vegetation plan is being revised to the vegetation management and agrivoltaic plan. 
So the vegetation management plan would show what kind of perennial plantings are going to be under and around the solar panels and um, in the buffer areas is wherever they have the perennial vegetation and the management plan for that. Usually it takes about three years to be well established. And then an agrivoltaic plan, if they intend to utilize the facility as agrivoltaic, uh, what would their agrivoltaic use be? If it'd be um, just pollinator plants or would it be grazing? And um, then uh, the emergency services plan, certain features of that were revised. Uh, the soil sampling plan, specifics were added to that. You'll see that's very um, specific standard now. And then a liability termination or expiration provision was added at the uh, end of that. And that is uh, major changes that are being proposed. And I know that, um, stop sharing. The ad hoc committee will be discussing the various um, components of the um, change. And uh, Kim Heiner Ritchie, she is the uh, interim director of sustainability. She was going to be here today to uh, provide a statement, but um, she's out of the office. She's uh, unable to attend, but she did provide a statement. And I believe I may be wrong, but I think Tanya Voigt, the zoning director, will be on to read that statement. And if not, I can read it later if she's not on. And so with that, I'll turn it over to the ad hoc committee. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Um, it's Commissioner Ashworth. Okay, we're gonna move on now. Thank you. Very, actually, um, we should be thanking uh, that that's Mary and staff, Tanya, and everybody have put a lot of work into that. So thank you. Um, we're gonna move on now to Jim Carpenter, uh, Commissioner Carpenter, who is chair of the ad hoc committee to give a brief overview of the ad hoc committee's work followed by um, some summary statements from the ad hoc committee. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair Ashworth, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, uh, Chair of the Ad Hoc Committee. Um, thanks to everybody else for trusting myself, Commissioners Ashworth, Rexroad, and Willie to work with staff on this. It's been quite a ride uh, since September. It seems like it's been a lot longer. Um, but as you know from prior meetings, we've been having regular uh, staffings with county staff, Tanya Boyd, Mary Miller, uh, Ben Harris, and also bringing in experts when we came up with questions uh, to join us at those. Uh, Jeff Crick has joined us to talk about the regulatory environment so we could make sure we didn't have language that was out in the left field. We've had assistance from the county attorney, uh, John Bullock. So we've, it's been quite an effort across um, staff and the four of us over these times. As you've seen in prior times, we have had a wildlife biologist come in, representatives of agrivoltaic use of these facilities for sheep ranching. Uh, we've talked to engineering firms that build these for other companies uh, to answer some basic engineering questions for us. We've had representatives from some of the companies that have approached the county seeking these types of regulations under which they could apply for conditional use permits. We had a meeting in Eudora uh, with uh, the assistant director of Douglas County Emergency Management and all the fire chiefs of the county and went over a lot of issues with them. 
Several of us have been out to public meetings. Several of us have out accepted invitations to walk properties with uh, residents that are living out in the area. And then there's all the research we've all been doing. And uh, so I have to say, you've barely seen the surface of all the paperwork that's come by all of us and all the reports and uh, looking at what's happened in other parts of the country. Uh, we've also had valuable input from other organizations such as Climate Energy has sent letters, uh, Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, Sustainability Action Network, and so on and so forth. And plus the information that's come in from um, the general public and the residents, primarily from Southeast Douglas County right now. Uh, but all of that's been very helpful. Uh, we set up a process that we went through where every time we saw a new issue that we hadn't thought of before, which at the beginning was every time we looked at something, we saw multiple new issues. We examined every one of those and kind of followed those up with our individual expertise uh, with the help of staff and brought in information on that to determine how the regulation should reflect what, our, what we found from that. And this has been everything from <clears throat> do these things kill birds, <laughs> which is why we're not permitting concentrated solar facilities in the county, um, <clears throat> to the noise issues, the noise of construction. We've tried to go through all that. Some of what happens throughout the process is covered by other county regulations. Um, but that's all referenced in there. And as you look at this, you're going to see a long list of maps that have to be provided for every conditional use permit and also studies and reports. So we're going to go through some of those as we go on. But like I said, we kept bringing in people and listening until we weren't hearing anything new. We get start to get the same the same thing again. So I think we've heard all the issues, uh, but tonight is to present it to the Planning Commission, hear your viewpoints, and to get the updated draft regulations out there to the public so we can receive more written comment. As I made a statement yesterday, I was invited to do the um, Earth Care Forum, I forget the exact name, with the First Presbyterian Church. I did a short presentation yesterday on where we were with this and saw that we're going to have to really explain this thousand acre one and Commissioner Rexford is going to cover some of that. That was a big question that came up. But I, I would just like to say right now that I think I believe everybody on the Planning Commission, everybody in the city, everybody in the county knows that climate change is here. It's real. Um, our charge is to come up with regulations that can accommodate one particular type of solar energy production, this being a large scale industrial production. Uh, we did not spend a lot of time on, you know, smaller scale or distributed solar. Those are all conversations the county is going to have to have as well as the city. But we had a narrow task here and it's not, we're certainly not anti-solar and we're not 
also where we're pro Douglas County and we're trying to make sure we have regulations that permit this type of business and uh, energy production in the county without doing undue harm to the county as a whole under that um, what our values are shown in plan 2040 and as expressed by members of our community. So with that, I guess we'll turn it over. Uh, the first one that comes up is siting issues. I believe uh, Commissioner Willie was going to talk about how we narrowed in what types of land we we're going to push for and what we didn't want to have uh, developed in this type of facility. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. This is Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, so yes, my topic for tonight is the siting issues. And as you know, Douglas County has strong longstanding protections for what we call sensitive lands, and those cover stands of mature trees, prairies, wetlands, steep slopes, prime agricultural soils, uh, and that's fairly unique for our county. So we started with that and from hearing from the public that, um, especially from the kind of the agricultural community, that uh, they were happy to have it, have solar hosted on land that was not prime agricultural soils or our best agricultural soils. So when we started looking at that, it really didn't leave any land left that wasn't delicate land that we didn't want to be, um, that we didn't think could host solar installations. So we started over and we looked, uh, we did some drive arounds in the county, um, not just in the corner where people are, are especially paying attention, but we, we did look in the Southeast corner also, um, but just across the county to sit and looked at maps and soil maps for the county to say, where would we be comfortable hosting um, large scale ground mounted solar? And what we came up with was that it had to occur on the same lands that we currently farm. And the reason we farm those lands is because they are deep, flat, resilient and they can hold up the kind of equipment that we use for farming, but also that we would use for or that someone would use for installing uh, solar panels because the uh, the construction is where the, the damage, you know, where the siting and the construction are what we were most concerned about for, for the damage to the ground. So when we started over, we started looking at, um, we have these protections for sensitive lands and we were proposing then to kind of split that definition into these agricultural soils that we were intentionally giving up some protections on. And then the flip side of that was that we wanted to create greater protections on those lands that we felt were not as resilient, that were more delicate or more special or more natural spaces. So our current code, as Mary mentioned, only allows us to protect 40% of sensitive lands as we have them defined. Uh, so that really put us in a pickle because there was no reason for, in order to host solar, utility scale solar, that we would give up on land that is currently protected. And the way that we farm, we tend to farm the, you know, flat, deep soils and those steeper soils that are rockier are kind of naturally protected and host our, our natural spaces, um, our stands of mature trees. There's, there's a definite co-occurrence there. So, so we had to talk with staff and talk with legal about whether it's possible for us to kind of split that definition of sensitive lands and work on something different for these regulations. And indeed, they, they did let us. That is uh, what, what you see before you today. Um, so now we've opened up land that we previously had protected that was our good agricultural soils. And we have, our protections are written in a couple ways. So the uh, plan 2040, our comprehensive plan, calls out class one and two soils, which is a fairly restricted uh, land 
uh, portion as, for protection. But the county development code calls for the prime agricultural soils as defined by the NRCS or the Natural Resource Conservation Service. And that is quite a bit of area. And so we, we were opening up that land for potential solar development, but we still had to protect it. So we started looking at what kind of land use does solar expect to have? And we did get some good answers out of some of the uh, uh, engineers from companies that are looking at Douglas County that uh, their, their standard protocol is to do a fair amount of grading of land to create a, a flat surface. Um, it can they can handle slopes, but it has to be uniform slopes. It was is their preference. And we really felt like there's enough flat land in Douglas County, especially now that we've opened up these particularly flat lands that we can ask for them to work with the lay of the land, the natural lay of the land, um, to site um, projects where the land is suitable uh, without grading. So we have a, 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 a limit on the grading that can occur in the regulations. There's also some flexibility in that because we tried to give good guidance for future planning commissions that have to interpret this for projects but also to give some flexibility because there are always unforeseen circumstances and we had a level of trust with future planning commissions to uh, take the guidance we've given them, but make uh, good decisions based on that. So the main, the, the main idea is to reduce erosion by not disturbing the ground that didn't need to be disturbed. Um, when we do allow for grading, the hope is that it is for fixing um, any drainage issues that might need to be addressed before this kind of longer term land use goes in. That's that's the general idea about allowing the grading at all. Um, erosion was one of the concerns and things related to erosion are what we heard from the public. They sent some very compelling uh, video clips from other projects in other parts of the, the country um, where even after the fact, the, the grading that was done to create those flat surfaces for the solar created massive erosion and then sedimentation and flooding problems. So we think that this gets around that. It does put the the, the uh, responsibility on the companies to site well. Uh, we've allowed them the choice of the land that I think that they want for solar. And then we have slated for protection, the land that we think they probably didn't want anyway, those you know steeper, rockier places um, that are currently protected, we left those as protected. So I think the main upshot is that um, those solar energy, converting to solar energy is a tool to help slow climate change as we move from uh, high carbon or carbon, high carbon emissions, solar production to less carbon emissions, solar production, but that that soil health and our natural spaces are what gives us the resilience in the face of climate change. And we didn't see that that needed to be sacrificed in order to host this use. So we think that we've come up with um, something that is both reasonable for companies to work with, but also kind of keeps us true to the values that we have in terms of environmental protections, because we wanted to maintain this, the carbon that we have in our soils, um, any extra uh, disturbance to that soil releases the carbon that's stored there and that seemed to work against the idea of uh, moving towards an, a, a low carbon energy source. So we we have some pretty, we feel pretty confident that we've found at least 
some of the issues and put them forth in the regulations you have before you. And that is my piece of it for the siting issues. I think the next speaker then would be about neighborhood issues. And that would be again, Commissioner Carpenter. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. In some ways, this is the hardest topic is always addressing those concerns of the neighborhood where something different and new is coming in next door. Everyone on this commission and probably everybody listening or is going to watch this later on film um, knows during their life of that place, that open field, that park, um, that empty lot that uh, you enjoyed and used and that viewscape you had that's changed over time. And that's a very difficult thing to deal with. Um, if you'll recall just the issues that came up about relocating a water tower 100 feet in a park, um, how strongly people react to that. We are, of course, this happens out in the county and we have looked at a lot of these issues. Uh, we had one meeting just with the four ad hoc committee members where Commissioner Ashworth actually had laid out a, along a street, uh, different distances, 100, 200, 500 feet, which looks like a long way on a city street. And then Commissioner Willie and I were out at a landowner in the Southeast and Commissioner Willie measured out the 500 feet and it certainly doesn't look as far out there. But what we've done with this is try to have setbacks that are much larger than you would find in the city. We're talking about 500 feet um, away from the residents. And a lot of the properties out there are much larger than we have here. So 500 feet still on the property, but uh, nothing's going to come uh, any closer to a residence in 500 feet under the current proposed regulations. And then there's also a 35 foot buffer area from the property line going back. So if your house happens to be you know, close to a property line and your neighbor has leased their property for this type of use, it's going to be at least 500 feet and possibly another 35. It just depends where those fence lines are for that. We've addressed the issues of light. Essentially, if you look at that, it doesn't say these are, well, I think it does mention night sky. They're definitely, there's um, about night sky provisions for lighting. It's only that that's absolutely necessary to maintain equipment or lighting that's required under national codes if there is battery storage or which is not covered by what we're doing here, but covered by separate code provisions, um, substations that would upload the power from these facilities to the transmission lines. Those all have their own requirements. We can't do much about that. But we're trying to have lights only on when absolutely necessary, they're turned off, they focus down, they don't intrude on other property. That's part of what has to be turned in, which we've all seen before is the lighting diagrams and so all that's going to be reviewed. Uh, noise, as Mary pointed out, we're measuring 60 decibels, either 500 feet from the house or at the property line, whichever is greater. Um, we 
believe that that's going to work. Screening. The current regulations don't require screening around the entire facility, but it does require strategic screening. And this could be in multiple ways. We're hoping that some of this will be reduced by eliminating the incentive for any company to cut down trees um, by going to the more open land so that existing tree lines would remain to help with that screening and so forth. Um, we've heard a lot about groundwater contamination as a concern. <clears throat> From our research, we know that the uh, EPA does extensive testing on every type of solar panel through our emergency management portion of this. And just for the county, we're going to get, we, the company is required to provide spec sheets on everything that lists what's included in them, what happens when they're crushed, what happens when they melt. Because uh, the greatest likelihood that we're going to have damage to these is from hail, tornadoes, and uh, grass fires. Um, batteries are another issue. Those have their own kind of requirements, which include fire suppression units and, and so forth. But we'll go over some of that later too. But as far as the groundwater and soils, uh, we're requiring some basic soil testing uh, for what's there. We're coming up with what panels should be tested for. I think we have outlawed or just said banned specifically any solar panels that contain cadmium, which we believe the industry's moved away from for the most part. Uh, the panels right now look to be pretty safe and except if they melt or burn, we don't know what'll happen then. I don't think anybody really knows what's gonna happen then, but that'll be in the spec sheet too. Um, so our emergency management people can all plan for this to help protect the neighbors out there. Um, the companies are required to provide any specialty equipment to the fire departments that might be needed to address emergency situations at these facilities and also offer uh, yearly trainings on how to approach emergencies that may arise at these facilities, all at the company's expense. Groundwater testing letters will go out to all adjacent property owners and at the company expense, there will be water testing done. This will establish a baseline of the water quality and any chemicals in the water. So if something does come up in the future, as the lawyers on here know, these types of things work both way. They can either protect the company by saying it didn't come from us because we didn't do it. And it can also, if it did come from them, it gives the landowner a baseline that says, well, this is what it was before you came. But those would all have to be resolved, you know, through private legal actions. But we're going to make sure those base, that baseline information is there. And I'm sure I've missed something that we talked about, but I hope we'll pick it up. And if any other commissioners have questions about this or any of the other topic areas, one of us will jump in because we're all pretty well versed in all of this now, as you might imagine. So.
So with that, we'll go on to the environmental issues uh, that we've tried to address and Vice Chair Ashworth was gonna cover those issues. Hello, this is uh, Commissioner Ashworth. And I just have, I'll go through some of these environmental topics that came to us um, as we did our research um, through public comment, written and oral public comment. Um, so I'll go through by topic. Uh, key issues uh, in that general area of environmental topics are gonna be considered with the review of an application, any application that comes in. So that includes impact on wildlife habitat, native flora and fauna, impact on crucial wildlife habitats, including threatened and endangered species, um, impact on environmentally sensitive lands and impact on water quality and soil. Um, specifically speaking to vegetation, the goal here is to minimize disturbance and improve soil health by essentially resting land planted with diverse, vegeta diverse native vegetation or perennial vegetation for grazing. Um, I'm gonna quote here from the regulations just to, to put this all in one um, sentence here. The system shall be designed to accommodate concurrent use of the land for livestock grazing, row crops, other agrivoltaic issues, or contain a diverse array of native grasses and forbs for native habitat under and between the rows of solar panels. So that the emphasis here is, is on keeping that land vegetated um, that will address soil erosion issues and will address soil health. Um, as Commissioner Willie mentioned, um, removal of stands of mature trees is limited. Um, trees will also be protected as parts of wildlife corridors. Um, the applica any applicant will submit a vegetation and or agrivoltaic plan, management plan, and that's gonna include a planting plan and maintenance. Um, on the topic of agrivoltaics, um, we'll probably talk a little bit more about later um, in our discussion, but the concurrent use of the facilities for agriculture is encouraged throughout those standards, throughout the document. So I encourage everybody to take a look at that. Um, on the topic of soil erosion and stormwater runoff, um, clearing of natural vegetation is limited and perennial vegetation must be planted and maintained under and around the solar arrays and the buffer areas. Any disturbed soil that happens um, will be planted with perennial vegetation. A stormwater management plan will be submitted and reviewed and approved by the county engineer. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter covered some soil and water contamination. Um, uh, a little bit, there was a great deal of concern about um, pesticides on these sites. Um, now by law, we cannot regulate which herbicides are used, um, but application of herbicides must be done by a certified applicator and the vegetation or agrivoltaic management plan must show how herbicides may be minimized on the project. Uh, let's see, uh, with each conditional uh, approved conditional permit application, an optional water analysis of wells within one quarter mile of the site area. Um, there's also a soil sampling plan um, and heavy metals and soil health will be tested prior to a CUP renewing, I'm sorry, uh, before construction, when construction is complete, prior to re renewing a CUP and after decommissioning. 
there will also be so there is also a soil sampling protocol should um, panels be destroyed and release components. On the topic of wildlife, uh, wildlife corridors will be provided as determined by wildlife biologists with KDWP or specialists designated by the county. Uh, we've talked about uh, uh, planner Mary Miller talked about the wildlife friendly fencing that will go along the perimeter of any project area. And where wildlife fencing is not utilized, there are additional wildlife corridors that may be required um, as escape corridors if we think about flooding um, and wildflowers, wildflowers, wildfires. So, uh, so those are how we've handled um, in the standards, those particular environmental topics that were brought to our attention. Um, now I'm gonna turn it over to Commissioner Rex Road um, to talk about some of our larger regulatory issues, project side, size and length of CUP. Thanks, Commissioner Ashworth. Hey, this is uh, Commissioner Rex Road. Um, here to talk about those topics. Um, I want to say as a kind of an intro to this, uh, the, the work that we did um, was meant to enable um, opportunities for green energy while protecting what is arguably some of the world's best farmland. Um, I just want to say personally, at, at, at no time did I feel that the work we did was about seeking compromise, um, quite the opposite rather. Uh, we worked closely with staff, we gathered feedback and information from industry experts, naturalists, neighbors, we sought anyone with informed opinions and worked to reach a good decision. Um, that was right for Douglas County. And the recommendations that I'll go through here, the small set, you know, out of this uh, 20 some pages we've got, uh, um, I, I think illustrate that. Um, one key to understanding this uh, a little bit better was it was found on page seven of the staff report. Um, if you'll take a quick look at that, uh, right in the center of that, we talk about area definitions. As we were doing our work together, uh, we found it we found it necessary to have um, a common language when we were breaking down different areas of what a solar project might look like. And there's four different categories here. Uh, the first piece is called a solar array. It's the smallest unit, describes collections of the panels themselves. Up from that, the solar module is an aggregation of arrays within a site. Up from that then, the site area, a footprint of modules that might span property lines, other boundaries, and excludes other structures such as substations, battery storage, um, uh, other pertinent structures, buildings that might be out there for maintenance as an example. And then last is the project area itself, the full project area itself with all structures, all infrastructure, of all voids, everything included. And if you'll jump down to page 11, um, you'll see a graphic that gives you some illustration of what that might look like. Also on page 11, we talk about the um, size of these projects. There's quite a bit of debate um, about how large a project size should be. Um, we worked to find the, the right recommendation that both listened to what industry said they required um, to make commercial scale viable, 
um, but also really started to think about how we married what industry wanted along with the values that we hold in Douglas County and think about how we want to encourage, enable developers, operators to use land in ways that um, are consistent with our values, such as what, uh, what uh, Karen and Sharon had talked about. Right now, the, the recommendation we have is a thousand acres limit on the site. The project area itself, by the way, that is the site area. If you go back to that definition, that was the, the third level of that. Thousand acres inside the site area. The project area might actually be larger than that when you consider accessory, appurtenant structures, wildlife corridors, um, and other components that are required for um, the solar energy conversion systems. If you look at that graphic, you can see inside the dotted, the dashed line, what the modules might look like. You can see inside that yellow line, what the sites might look like. And then you can see inside that larger greater area, what the, the entire project might look like. Another topic that has been um, one of quite a bit of discussion is that of the length, the duration of the CUP. Uh, we're making a recommendation uh, that that be set at the default 25 years. Um, there's a lot of arguments to be made in both directions. And uh, as we sorted through this, listening to um, both staff, listening to um, uh, those in the, in the area uh, and in the industry, um, and also what developers tell us that they need in order to do viable um, projects, we landed on that. And we, we recognize that a more important thing to focus on than the length of the CUP was really what kind of structure did we have in place inside of the regulations to provide a good partnership with operators and a good partnership that 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 recognized our values over the long term while still providing industry what they need for a viable project which is a segue into this last part and talk about um, requirements for the cup application itself you'll find that going from page 18 through page 27 on um, the staff report um, Sharon, Karen, and Jim have already clicked into a number of those items as they read through their various areas of focus. But just at a high level, what we recognize is that a commercial sale, commercial scale solar project, they are so large and they run for such a long time that we felt that we needed to put the appropriate amount of rigor around the partnership between operators and the county to make sure that our county received what they needed. That rigor is reflected in the analysis, the planning work um, that's required um, in any CUP application. Um, I've singled out uh, six different categories here. Uh, you, can, you can dive in for quite a little bit more detail, of course, but understanding the land, the neighbors, and other features that might be impacted by the installation, environmental considerations, including impacts to wildlife, flora and fauna, water and soil over time, vegetation, landscaping, and the encouraging encouragement of, of agrivoltaics. A substantial amount of work um, in what's required in emergency services to make sure that 
our county is able to service um, a, a new installation of this magnitude. The infrastructure um, needed for both construction and for operation. And then bonding. Um, how do we protect ourselves? How do we make sure that we have the right financial means in place fund, you know, provided by the operator so that our county is protected and that um, when that day of decommissioning comes, um, that we can assure that proper, rec prop, uh, proper reclamation is done. Now the last point um, uh, points you to uh, page 41. If you scroll down, um, uh, there's a section on modifications to regulations and, you know, things like size and, and uh, uh, even though it's not specifically called out duration are likely to come from um, applicants. Um, as we've thought this through, um, we've, we've kind of leaned towards this idea that uh, modifications should be favorably considered uh, when they are consistent uh, with the applicants demonstrated investment in our efforts to protect farmland and to coexist uh, through agrivoltaics. That's all I have for my part. Uh, where I think we're going to be standing uh, open for any questions that you might have. I'll turn this back over to uh, Vice Chair Ashworth. Thank you. Thank you all for the ad hoc committee um, that summary. This is Commissioner Ashworth. Um, what we're going to do now is um, open up for questions from uh, the Planning Commission as a whole for staff and uh, the ad hoc committee. I would like to note that um, because this is a concentrated study session on this topic, this is going to be a very valuable recording to have open to people. So those um, many, many people who have contacted us and all the many people that have worked with the ad hoc committee as Commissioner Carpenter described, um, this particular session and recording will be valuable as it summarizes the work of the committee um, and um, allows a concentrated, uh, concentrated discussion um, amongst the Planning Commission. So I hope this will be shared for all those that are not on the call tonight. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and open this up for questions right off the bat from the other Planning Commissioners. Um, who uh, have not been part of the ad hoc committee. Luke Sinclair, um, Chair, I have a question just to get us started. Um, and maybe, I don't know, I guess it's posed for all of you, but uh, maybe more specifically to Commissioner Willie, since um, since you talked about it, Commissioner Willie. But, um, could you, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but can you kind of give a little bit uh, more um, explanation, I guess, of what what it means for grading to be limited to maintaining natural topography? Because um, as someone who, um, I mean, essentially as a, you know, as I'm a county appointee, but I live in the city and I'm not all that familiar with uh, um, you know, with with agricultural use of land and with grading farmland and what you do to maintain natural topography. But I'd be curious to know that um, as there will probably be other people who are reading these that is that may like me be like, I wonder what that means. It might be helpful to know. Karen Willey, Planning Commissioner. Yes, I'll take a stab at that. So outside of floodplains, Douglas County does not have 
actually flat land. We have rolling uh, topography that with um, our, our uplands are, you know, they're they roll quite a bit in, uh, in each direction, but they also um, then are cut up by um, creeks and streams and slopes and, and things after that. So the idea was that um, within the land that we have that is reasonably flat, that that can be available for solar installations, um, but it will not be, as we say, like geometrically flat. It will not all be one uniform slope. It'll be what our natural land looks like. Um, there are solar projects out there in the world that do both. Um, certainly the, the old school thinking was to you know, grade everything exactly flat. Um, and then those can either be stationary panels or tracking panels, but they have um, they can be more tightly spaced because they uh, are not shading each other because they're all on the exact same slope. Um, the other model, which we have um, some really great kind of visual examples of from other places also, is that the, the land as it lays, the panels just follow that uh, slope of the land. And that's what we are asking for. So that um, there's no bulldozer that comes out and strips all of the uh, vegetation and the topsoil and opens that up for both erosion and also uh, for volatilizing all of that soil carbon, which is, of course, the opposite of what we're going for with moving to green energy. Um, so that's what we want to avoid. We, um, we'd like to leave the natural vegetation in place as much as possible um, and only do uh, grading, which would be known as a bulldozer. This is very different from, you know, the disturbance that comes with agriculture if there's tillage that leaves the sediment and the soil in place, even though it does disturb it. Uh, grading is actually moving and transporting um, soil to different parts of the field and reshaping the land. So that's what we want to avoid in order to maintain um, soil structure, which soils are active ecosystems, even those farm soils uh, do have active ecosystems that can be regenerated and rejuvenated with the right kind of treatment. And that's what we're trying to set the stage for is that um, Douglas County needs to invest in its soil health. Um, we need to be farming for soil health. Some of us do, but it needs to be more widely practiced. And this is kind of a chance to say, even though we know that we're going to have to host in order to, um, to construct a solar facility, it will have to host pretty large equipment that will come in to just to make that happen, both for putting in um, the posts for the fencing and the posts for the solar racks themselves. We want to make sure that we give that we are using soils that have the best ability to take that kind of traction on it uh, and not be overly damaged. So that's why we've, we've opened up these soils that are you know, more resilient, deeper soils that we think will be um, more preferred for solar development, but we've also asked that they be protected to the best extent possible, even when those solar installations come in. So hopefully that's given a little bit of a background for what that what I was talking about there. Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Um, also, one other variable that we added to this we hope that will assist the company engineers to follow the topography of the land is a five foot increase in the height if that's needed uh, to allow this to work without the need for grading. And all of this would have to be in maps and plans that are submitted to staff prior to it even coming to the planning commission that show where this would be and what this would look like. So we're trying to build in some variables also 
to accommodate this uh, concurrent use that we're really pushing for. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner, I can follow that up just a little. Um, some of our farm ground, even some of our pasture ground, which had previously been farm ground, have terraces that were, yet yeah, there was grading that went in to create those terraces in the first place, um, and quite a bit of destruction that goes with that, but they do it for farming purposes. Uh, and then after that land gets to settle and heal for a while, it, it does become productive again. Uh, but the idea was we could either allow the terraces to be torn out again, which the companies say, don't worry, we'll put them back, which is now yet three times of grading and destruction on those same soils. So that's what we wanted to avoid, that um, most terraces are less than five feet height difference anyway. So giving uh, the ability to, to offer some, some variability on the, the maximum height to say, if you can vary the height of your panels within five feet, you can al allow that ground to be different underneath the panels and just take up the difference in the height of the panels. Um, terraces that are greater than five feet by very much are probably too steep and lands that are too delicate to be hosting soil solar installations very well anyway. So that was the thought that we had. Thank you both. Commissioner Thomas. Uh, I I would say I appreciate that you four and the city staff, uh, all the the effort that you have put into this document. I, I am not a detailed person, and the detail that you have uh, come up with is is astounding. We have talked about um, the topography of an area. And I, I don't see where we have talked about the character of the area. Now, I live in the country, have grew up in the country. There is more to the character of an area than just the land features. What have we done to address the character of the people? the character of that area and how the people will be affected. We've talked about landscape and how it will be affected. We can measure uh, erosion. We can measure uh, what's going on in the, the soil. But where in this document do we talk about what happens to the people? the character of the people on the suitability for great disruption on having a, a solar, um, whatever we've decided to call it, of a thousand acres, 1500 acres, 1700 acres, whatever it will turn out to be. Where have we addressed the character of the people? in this document and how are we going to address that to see whether a solar array is suitable for a particular area. Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission, I can take a stab at that. That is a great question and that's also been foremost at our, in our discussions. Um, it's beyond what these regulations themselves are. 
these are the guidelines under which uh, there may be a conditional use permit request and the information that has to be collected and provided. When we get an individual conditional use permit application, one of the criteria that the Planning Commission always looks at as well as staff is the impact on the surrounding neighborhoods. And that becomes more important in that discussion. It could be that certain things are going to end up with a recommendation from the Planning Commission to go someplace or not go someplace when we get to the conditional use permitting stage based on the character of the area that the request is coming in for. So if it's, uh, we have a lot of um, rural subdivisions that these might surround, that will be a factor for this commission to consider when making recommendations to the county commission for approval, denial, or modification. So even though we can't exactly address everything because these are regulations for the entire county and not one particular location, um, and I'll just take this opportunity now because we've had one company has been very public about their plans in both Johnson and Douglas County. We have a benefit has come from that, that we've gotten so much input at an early stage in the process from rural residents about how this may have an impact on their particular area that they, they reside in. The other thing is it's been a complicating factor because we've it's been hard as we go out and talk to individuals or groups to explain the process that a lot of the concerns that are being raised are those that we discuss with an individual conditional use permit and not the regulations under which a permit can be submitted. So we've tried to ad address some of these by requiring these concurrent uses, the height limits, follow the contour of the land, make sure we have some environmental protections in, encouraging you know, an agricultural use or uh, perennial grasses and wildflowers to try to lessen some of those impacts. But all of these things as a whole will have to be considered when we get that first permit application. And I'm, I don't know if Jeff would like to jump in or Mary would like to jump in just about the general process and and where we are, but those, we've had some of those conversations as we've gone along. <clears throat> Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. I think to Commissioner Thomas, your question, I would just note is that, you know, it, one of the things we look at under Golden is that character area and Golden does carry and apply to conditional use permits. So it, does, it doesn't necessarily, manifest in, in the text amendment itself, but it would manifest in the review of an application and some of those items going forward. So I think it's, it is something that's on our minds that we're kind of keeping in, in touch with, but it's, it's a hard one to pin down in regulations when we're talking about um, in, in the context of this one, I would say. Commissioner Thomas. It, uh, it is a hard one to, to pin down, and yet I think it is perhaps the most important 
issue. We, we can write regulations that, that minimize, and all through the document, there are words that say minimize. We're going to minimize the impact on a particular area. We're going to minimize, uh, or we're going to say how we're going to clean up if things go wrong. As a as a rural resident, I, I think a a company can perhaps come in and meet all of the regulations that we have set out here, and and still destroy the character of an area, and and somehow I as difficult as it is, I would like to see that uh, documented someplace in here that we are going to listen to the to the residents that are going to be affected. and and I will say, i I am a fan of solar energy. My wife and I are looking at it for our place it will not impact our neighbors what we do but when we have a just say 1500 acre uh, and i forget jim the the or or uh, gary the the proper terminology for the total site we need we need as as rural residents to have that um, placed at a high priority in this document. And uh, I know that you four on the, the committee have talked about that and are concerned about the impact that it has on people. And yet I would like to see it somehow in this as a priority. And I, I have gone through and taken notes, and there are lots of, lots of individual things in this document that I would like to talk about and go over page by page that I have questions about or think there's some ambiguity on it. But if I don't say anything else tonight, it's that the rural character is more than the topography of the land. It is about the people. And that needs to be a priority, in my opinion. Um, thank you, Commissioner Thomas. I just want to interject a little bit. Um, I want to come back to you um, after a couple of people have their hands raised. We are trying to take copious notes tonight for any sort of suggestions, um, modifications that you might have for these regulations. So I'd like to come back to you and ask maybe specifically where you might want such language, um, what, where that would be, or any of the other details that you found. So I would like to come back to that. Okay. Um, I'm going to move to um, uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Hey, Greg Shanklin, Commissioner. Um, hey, Commissioner Thomas, um, I, I just in a, in a 
I guess in a sense similar to what Commissioner Ashworth just said. I I would like to hear, I mean, you began by saying character of the people, um, and then it seemed that it was um, maybe more of an aesthetic or incompatible land use concern. And I just wondered, and, and maybe many more things, but I just wondered if you could give some particularity to, to that concern, which then would in turn feed into what Commissioner Ashworth uh, was asking for as to how we go about drafting for it. I had a, a um, political science professor say to me when I, I brought up an issue a uh, hundred years ago when I was in college, he said, there are some people that are very good at seeing problems. And there are some people that are very good at coming up with answers. They are not necessarily the same people. I, I'm not sure I have the verbiage um, that would um, be appropriate to express my concerns that would go into the document. Um, and Greg, uh, <laughs> Commissioner Shanklin, <laughs> um, are, are you asking what do I see as the character of an area, uh, the, the neighborhood, the neighbor's interconnectedness? Uh, I, I'm not sure what you are asking for in that. If I may, um, yes, you began by saying character of the people, and now it seems that we're flushing it out um, that um, when you refer to things like interconnectedness, um, before I think you you referred to um, what I would interpret as an aesthetic concern. So it's just, I mean, words like that are really helpful, I think. Okay, on, on so the... We don't say... So we, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Commissioner Thomas, on the... Um, rural area where I live, the gravel road, I live there, houses on it, that we are, we are more than just um, residents on that road. We are individuals who create an, an atmosphere for our area, whether it is, uh, and some of you will know this that live in the country where we say we drive along in our trucks and we give one another the finger. Uh, it means we are saying to individuals uh, when we raise our finger, hi, you are a part of this area. I recognize your value. I recognize that you belong to a larger community um, and that we are connected in some way. That is what I heard however many weeks ago when we, months ago, when we had the, the large group of individuals that showed up here, they tried to express that there is 
an atmosphere among them that is more than just they live in a particular house on a particular road. It is a, a, a community of individuals who, who care about their neighbors, their land, the, the views, the, the sounds, the, the quiet, the, all of those things are the character of an area. And, and I'm sure there are individuals who, who can express it much more eloquently than I can. That's what I'm looking for. How can we protect that in some way? Mr. Shanklin, was that a raised hand or was that just a recognition of what? That was a thumbs up or an okay sign. I well well said, Commissioner Thomas. Thank you. Yes, um, well said and very very difficult um, to wrap around when you're dealing with um, standards and regulations in a planning um, aspect planning code. Um, before we. Commissioner Thomas and, and Commissioner Shanklin were discussing that. I did see um, Mary Miller's hand go up. I don't know if she wanted to um, have something to say here. Yeah, thank you, uh, Mary Miller Planner. I just wanted to kind of follow up on what Commissioner Carpenter and um, Jeff Crick said. And so I pulled up in the zoning regulations where we talk about what do you look at when you approve a conditional use permit? And one of the criteria is whether the proposed use is compatible with zoning and land uses of nearby properties in terms of scale, site design, and operating characteristics, including hours of operation, traffic generation, lighting, noise, odor, dust, and other external impact. And then the next one is whether the proposed use is compatible with the character of the area. So every CUP is evaluated with that. So when a CUP comes before you, even if it meets all the standards that we're developing with this text amendment, it can still be denied for certain parcels if it's seen as not being compatible with the development in the area at that time. You know, if you have a lot of houses and I, I don't know what would not be compatible, but let's just say when the planning commission looks at it and they're like, yeah, it's compatible over here where it is, it's, it fits well, it's, it's screened from neighbors. You don't have to prove the entire project. It's possible to say this piece is not compatible with the surrounding uses and then that would not be allowed or at that point, looking at the site-specific characteristics, you might require some landscaping, some screening, more setbacks. You're, you, you have a lot of uh, ability to add additional conditions. So rather than building it in, because we don't know where these are going to be proposed. I know we have one that's probably going to happen in the southeast corner, but they could be located anywhere in the county. So it's difficult for us to place standards to ensure it'll be compatible with every area, because some areas are very different. One piece won't fit all. So I think there are standards built in the in the review criteria that the planning commission themselves would implement when they when they review that. Commissioner Thomas, I appreciate that, Mary. I, I tend to think of of what I am trying to convey is it's kind of like people say, what is love? It it is a feeling. The character of an area is a feeling, not the number of houses, not 
I think it is so hard to to um, define it, but the people that that were here, at least in that one area, and I know it will be different for every area, but at least in the area, I, I think I only heard one person speak against solar energy, but they talked about the character, the feel of that community of individuals and what it would do to that area. That is what I'm trying to um, say is, is, is the important element that cannot be overlooked. And even when we just use the word character, it is, it is hard to define, but it is so important. And, um, and again, I know we're all concerned about it. I, I, I don't, um, I don't think any of us want to destroy the character of an area, but we have to, we have to look at that and, and make it of, of ultimate importance. I'm going to go to Commissioner Willie, and then it might be time after Commissioner Willie speaks to have um, heads up for a break a little bit. But then when we come back after that break, I would like to see if Commissioner Shanklin, Butler, and Payton have some specific questions that they'd like answered um, about these standards we produced. Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Um, so Commissioner Thomas and I are kind of unique on this body that um, and, and I know Commissioner Shanklin also lives outside of Lawrence, but that Commissioner Thomas and I, we look out of our windows and we look at a rural landscape that will potentially be altered by uh, these regulations at some point. So that it, it is, it's, it's personal, it's visceral. It's certainly that it's something that I um, feel very much when I listen to the community that has reached out to us to talk and that we have certainly you know, tried very hard to um, make the time to listen and fully listen to the things they bring forward. Um, I would also say the difference between the regulations we write and the process when we consider as a body, when we consider a CUP, that we don't have to consider and we don't write these regulations in a vacuum. And one of the founding documents that we fall back on for uh, our discussion, in addition to the golden factors that get considered with, with every um, request that comes before us, but also the, the comprehensive plan that we wrote about half of us on the um, Planning Commission now were, were on for, for when we wrote the uh, Plan 2040. And rural character, which we wrote in there very strongly, was something that we struggled to define. It's something that we wanted and we wanted as a value and we still had a hard time putting words to it. So exactly what Commissioner Thomas is saying is where we were when we were struggling through, through that portion of the document that, and that's the best we could do is to say, we hold this as a value and we will just have to talk about it every time something comes in front of us, that, that rural character that's so hard to define. Um, as my perspective for what we did with the regulations is that we 
listen to anybody who came before us that neighborhood especially that brought concerns and the concerns that we were able to um, break down and make regulations for are in that document but not all of those concerns fit so nicely there some of them we just have to um, leave for the um, process when an individual application comes forward and the planning commission deals with it and the county commission also um, and and many of those factors are exactly that um, in the county i think we get a a little bit more of a, a free pass on our open space we get to take it for granted a little bit more than people in the city do um, very frequently we have issues that come forward in the city where it's a it's a it's a vacant lot or it's a um, you know, a, a, a treasured piece of open space, but it's also not owned by the people who value it and the people who own it have certain rights and things that they want to do with it. And that becomes that tricky balance of how much of that rural character do we have a right to over somebody else's property rights. And that was something that we had to, that we discussed and took to heart also is we we do have zoning regulations and we do as a county and as a city um, make regulations for what other people can do with their land but that always has a limit i i can't choose everything that my neighbors get to do with their land as it is and that is also true under these regulations um, that said i think that that um, that character is something that we weigh and weigh heavily and I'd give an example of that from a few years back is we had a, a conditional use permit come to us in the county for an event space and we approve event spaces based on our um, regulations often uh, we certainly have those uh, that, that often do get approved with whatever conditions that those need but this one was not approved because that particular character of the area it was too small too close to you know neighboring houses and, and it did not fit with the rural character to have that event space there even though the building that was there was you know a, a cherished kind of historical spot so um, I think we have a strong precedent of being able to weigh those issues um, and balance them between what are the bigger community needs, which in this case uh, we did as an ad hoc take pretty seriously that um, in the face of climate change, we have an obligation to um, host some portion of energy production. Um, other places have been supplying us coal so that we can have electricity and we did not have to bear the burden of that land use, but other people did. and how fair is that that we have for all these years been able to ask southeast kansas to have massive environmental and cultural destruction so that we can have electricity and now it comes from you know montana wyoming but it still is outsourced like at what point do we take responsibility for providing something that we also need and use such as electricity and douglas county has a a history of passing the buck and letting poorer places take um, environmental damage for us, um, Douglas County, sorry, this is a bit of a rant that sticks in my craw. Uh, we do not have, um, we don't have a, a landfill in Douglas County. We don't have a transfer station for our trash in Douglas County. Douglas County creates more trash than most of the surrounding counties, but we send that to rural places. We send that to poorer places and that's not equitable and it's not fair. So that's something that I certainly took to heart with these regulations is that no, I don't want to look out my window and see solar panels, 
but there are a lot of other worse things out there and I do still want electricity. So what's my responsibility? Uh, what am I willing to give up in order to still host electricity and, and green energy? So there are a lot of things to weigh and we weighed a lot of them that we could in the regulations and there's still more things to be weighed when um, individual applications come forward to the planning commission. None of it's easy, it's all tricky, but I, I think I think there are good discussions to be had. So with that, I think I'm standing between us and break. <laughs> yes, many things to consider. So um, can um, someone give me a time with a, a working clock um, for when we come back? And then we will um, dig in a bit more. Let's see, I believe it's 8.12. So just come back from 8.17, just a, a five minute break. All right. Everybody grab a snack, a little something to drink. Um, okay, we'll go ahead and um, get started again. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I'd uh, like to uh, take this opportunity to mention again that this is a time for the Planning Commission um, to uh, really give us any questions and suggestions um, that we can go back and work with. Um, before these standards come again before the Planning Commission. Um, and that next time um, will be with public comment. Uh, so hopefully you've had a chance to at least review um, what was in the packet in terms of comment. So I'd, I'd like to turn to Commissioner Shanklin, Butler and Payton um, and give them an opportunity since the four of us at least have had a, a great deal of time <laughs> to, to chat and talk. Um, I'd like to get other commissioners' viewpoints, please. I guess I will start then, Commissioner Ashworth. Uh, this is Commissioner Butler. I will say that um, I was thoroughly impressed and overwhelmed with all of the information, all of the comments, um, and I do like to see members of our community participate and give. Uh, But uh, I, great job. Um, I don't think I quite grasp everything that um, has um, gone on, but I do think, um, and, and I especially have focused on Commissioner Willie's statements um, today, I think, uh, we do when individual projects or proposals come before the planning commission, look at a variety of issues and the golden factors and how those those affect um, the proposed proposal that we have. Um, so I do think that uh, Commissioner Thomas's comments are uh, important and helpful, and I I do think that. Um, especially 
people that are on the commission now do, because I've been here for a long time, um, give a lot of weight to members of our community and their thoughts, desires, hopes for um, the places in which they reside and how individual projects uh, affect or may affect their property rights and their um, property and the enjoyment of the same. So I I do think, and I wanted to say that, that I do think that that's important um, and I value it. And I think all of the commissioners look at that, um, the character of the area as, as something that's very important. But um, I think the work that you have done is, is, is pretty phenomenal. And I look forward to uh, discussions on individual projects. I can't say I look forward to the time because I think it's going to take a lot of time, but um, I do think it's valuable, but um, I, I'm not looking forward to the long meetings that will, that will, that are headed our way, but I do look forward to the community participation because I think we have some projects that come in front of us or proposals that uh, we wonder why there's not very much community involvement or community comment, but this has generated far more comment than I could have ever imagined. And I do um, love to see our community get involved and, and even people on the Johnson County uh, side get involved and, and work together for what they believe is beneficial to our uh, communities. So I don't have any specific questions at this time, but I think as we go forward, I will um, take in just like we do with every proposal that comes in front of us, um, staff's comments and, and the community at large and um, how that particular project will affect um, the area and, and people that um, live and care about the area. So I just thank um, all the commissioners that have worked on this because you guys have done a lot of work and put a lot of time and effort in. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Butler. Um, Commissioner Payton, you unmuted. Go right ahead. Um, I did have some questions to begin with, like why it was changed um, to include uh, prime uh, farmland. And Commissioner Willie answered that question very well. And I, I really appreciate what was done there um, after hearing the explanation. So I think that has been answered for me. Um, I can appreciate the, uh, you know, listening to the character of an area, but I think as I sit on planning commission, I always promise myself if it came to my neighborhood, I wouldn't be an NIMBY, <laughs> um, which is easier said than done, right? Um, when I think about things that could back up to where I live. And um, so I, I really also appreciated what um, Commissioner Willie said about um, if I'm going to use electricity or whatever I might need, then I have to be willing to do what it takes to supply that in a sustainable sort of way. And so I can't speak to how it would make me feel about it being in my neighborhood because this particular thing is not likely, although I think there are things that may be coming down the pike 
here that um, would impact uh, sort of the feel of my neighborhood. And so I can appreciate all that. Um, but I also think it's one of those things that we are facing a rapidly changing world and these are necessary to make sure that there isn't um, more damage done to that area and to neighbors and to um, the overall feel and character of that area. And this is a great start. And I think um, you guys have done a great job of, of researching and, and understanding and looking at what's happened um, around the country. Um, I've seen some of these, or I've seen some very large solar um, farms, I guess, uh, not in the US, but in Germany. And so I can appreciate why one might not want to live right next to them, but I think they're also important to, to have sustainable energy. So thank you. Commissioner Payton, you just mentioned that you had seen some of these facilities in Germany. Yeah. Do you have any particular recollections that you might want to relate to us about how these have seemed on the ground? I mean, what? <laughs> um, sure. Uniform. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was particularly ugly. Um, Germany, I saw both uh, um, nuclear power plants and uh, um, solar farm. And I, I think I'd rather live next to the solar farm, quite frankly. Um, so I didn't have any, I mean, it, the one I saw there, what I remember of it was basically, uh, you know, grass, just sort of standard, almost, almost looked like fescue. I would like to see something. I mean, I think what, what's, you've talked about and using um, agrivoltaic sort of setup is, is way better than perhaps they were doing there, but it was kind of hard to tell because I didn't, you know, I was on trains and, and villages and stuff. And so I, it was, I don't really know exactly what they were doing, but um, this seems like a, you know, that seems like a better option. So. Thank you. Um, did Commissioner Shanklin have any particular questions regarding these regulations? Shanklin, uh, Planning Commissioner. Um, yeah, I, I see the article on the problem of social cost, but um, Commissioner Willie's interpretation was so good, I won't go there. Um, I, I, I guess I'd want to start with agrivoltaic. Um, is there anything that we can do to actually incentivize their use as opposed to just providing for um, a, a plan for potential agrivoltaic use? I guess that's for Commissioner Um I'd also like, Commissioner Willie does have her hand up, but um, well, there's also, um, Mary Miller has, uh, a statement on agrivoltaics from King Kleiner Ritchie, who's the sustainability coordinator, or, uh, acting sustainability coordinator for the county. Um, but I saw um, Commissioner Willie's hand go up. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. 
this was a tricky one because we had this great value and this great excitement around things that could happen with agrivoltaics. We also fell short of feeling like we could require something for an industry that didn't exist yet. Like we want to see it built here, but it we don't have it yet. We have pieces and parts of it, and I think we have great potential. And I think it's a great place to expand into in terms of um, new and beginning farmers instead of because land access is always the most difficult part of becoming of coming into farming. And here is a, a, a land that is available. And instead of paying to be there, they potentially pay you to manage the ground in, in favor of the, the uh, solar energy. Um, we got kind of sneaky with this, and I think it's a, a, a fair way of doing it, is that um, we asked every plan that comes forward, every proposal that comes forward to give us a vegetation management and agrivoltaic plan. Um, if they come forward and say, we're really not going to do any agrivoltaics at all, um, then when they also are asking for we want just a little bit more height on this. We want a little bit more grading here. We want a few more acres. We'll say, what would you like to show us in your vegetation management and agrivoltaic plan that would make us happy enough with your project to give you some modifications? So we specifically left modifications open, knowing that uh, companies will ask for them to, because for that extra flexibility. But this is what we want to show, want them to show us is that this is something that is it positive for the neighborhood? Is it positive for the environment? And those are the ways that they show us. So I think we can um, pretty strongly ask for that, in part because it's a way to um, keep perennial vegetation, if, if you're talking grazing. Grazing is the one that is easiest for me to understand. Um, if we're talking grazing, we have perennial vegetation, which means we're not planning to use a lot of herbicides. They have to address all of those things in their plan. How are they going to manage the vegetation um, to minimize herbicide use? And one of the ways we'd sure like to see them say that is, is through a, you know, a, a responsible grazing, regenerative grazing plan. But we, we left the flexibility and the creativity open to the companies to show us. So I think it was a, a fairly good balance. Um, we did try a couple of stabs at, can we give something in exchange for agrivoltaics? And my particular problem with that was that not all farming is of equal ecological value. Is that a fair thing to say? Um, we're like, what we really want is rotational grazing that keeps the vegetation short where the panels need it, but also is specifically increasing soil carbon and soil health. Um, anybody can buy a mower and, and mow reasonably well. Not just anybody can buy sheep. We didn't want companies to feel like they were forced to just buy sheep, turn them out there and call it agrivoltaics, when really that kind of grazing could be more destructive than just the mowing would have been. So that was where we landed. We would like, we would very much like and value for companies to bring forward a plan that looks creative and responsible and ecological and has um, operators that know what they're doing and that they can show that in their plan. So that's where we landed with the agrivoltaics. And I think Mary um, Mary Miller and um, Kim Kreiner-Ritchie may have some input on that too. Uh, Kim Kreiner-Ritchie is the uh, food planner for the city and county. The city and county sustainability office that that fell under is now splitting into a city office and a county office. So she is our interim uh, county sustainability director. Uh, she's also been incredibly faithful to be at 
almost all of our ad hoc meetings and really stuck it out. So um, I think she's going to continue to add more and to flesh out that one piece in the regulations that talks about agrivoltaics. I think there's more detail coming where we can also include things like um, uh, if, if KU wants to, if they want to partner with the university to do some research on that land because we've been able to fence out all of the deer, when, are you, when do you get a chance like that? Um, there's a lot of research opportunities and a lot of research that's needed just on the impacts of uh, solar farms as the, the public has been very keen to point out that there's a lot we don't know. So there's more of that coming. That was a long answer, I'm sorry. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Some, some of the other conversations we've had are if you go online and you just Google and look at images of agrivoltaics, you're going to see such a wide variation of what's <clears throat> in that category. What works for this scale of solar facility may not work <laughs> for others. That's how we ended up mostly looking at sheep because any other large animals will do damage to the panels. Um, so it's basically sheep and bees is kind of where we landed at the moment for these large facilities. We also have, you know, we have a category split out that's covered by this, which is up to 20 acres, which are co-op or community owned um, solar facilities that don't sell into the grid. It's for their own use. There might be net metering, but they're not built just to sell into the grid like these large scales are. It could be that we're going to see more experimentation and variation in those. And it's possible that if projects come forward that need a greater height in the solar arrays on a, on a smaller scale, that should be something that we're willing to talk about. Because as you, as you look at these photos, you're going to see they're, they're out there, they're, they're spread out farther apart. They're driving tractors and combines underneath of them. And a lot of this hap is happening in Germany and other places. Some may work here, some may not work here, but we want to encourage experimentation on a smaller scale. But for this large scale, I think we're kind of <laughs> have a couple of these. You'll note in the regulation that part of the agrivoltaic or vegetation plan, they don't have to put it in right away because they have to get the ground cover established, but they have to plan the placement of the panels to accommodate um, some agrivoltaics. We learned from the sheep ranching industry that they need to be able to split up this interior area into smaller paddocks to rotate the sheep around, which would mean some wider areas between some of the panels, but we built that in so we can give that bonus acreage to make that possible. Because again, I, we're trying to encourage a concurrent use to protect soil health and to have a resilient ground cover that will capture carbon and make that soil better over time. So if we do get it back for agriculture, we're going to have some pretty good land out there. <clears throat> uh, Mrs. Commissioner Ashworth, uh, Mary Miller, did was there a, a statement? that you had from Kim Kleiner-Ritchie? Um, Mary Miller, City vote. County Planner. And no, uh, Kim had meant to send us a, a statement. She's ill today and she just wasn't able to do it. So we'll have to have her statement at the next meeting. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, 
Craig Shankman, Planning Commissioner. Um, if, if I can go on then. Uh, thank you both Commissioners Weller and Carpenter. That, that sounds uh, really positive. Um, I, um, I think this one may be for Commissioner Rexroad, um, but of course anybody can answer. But um, one of the things that's really been puzzling me, puzzling me is all the conversation around the um, the term of the CUP. And I, I know that the depreciable life of a solar panel is only five years. My panel's penciled out at 11 years. And I'm wondering why we end up with 25 years. And is that driven by an accounting function or uh, that that's what lenders lend against? Or if you, if you got any more details uh, that would sure. help us understand, and since this is for the public, sure, good question. Um, might explain that to others that'll be viewing the Sure, good question. Commissioner Rexroad, um, there were a couple things that go into that. Um, one was um, that the the life of the panels that we're talking about in today's um, uh, commercial um, solar settings um, is 30 years plus. So much, much longer than maybe what had been there in the past and, and much, much longer than what might be available for residential uses. So that was one piece. Um, the other side of it though was, um, you mentioned you know, an accounting thing. It, it, it really is about um, the investment structure that's required to make such a large investment a viable commercial uh, project. And um, what we've heard from industry pretty, pretty reliably, pretty consistently, is that uh, 25 plus years is what's required for that investment to be realized. Um, I know there's been some discussion and I think uh, um, other counties have looked at making that a smaller number. Um, there's been some discussion about um, how comprehensive plans run, um, oftentimes uh, shorter duration than that. But we felt as we talked this through that um, if we listened to the industry, what they were asking for and why, uh, and we instead instead of trying to limit risk by a shorter duration, it just didn't fit any financial model, but instead put our energy into the rigor that would be in place through our regulations that would govern it over a longer period of time. That was going to be the best possible mix for us. Does that answer the question? Thank you. It does. Thank you. Um, if, if I may go on. Um, I, I'm still puzzled, I think, by how the um, how the reclamation process kicks in. Um, the the way we've drafted it is that um, at such time as the panels have not been in use for twelve months, then we get to make that declaration. But I, who is determining what's not in use? I don't think there's a good definition for that and um, in our uh, in our drafting here. And it concerns me that um, that's a decision that, um, you know, can be kicked down the road fairly easily by the operator, um, such that they may never have to, to decommission and reclaim. 
Yeah, Commissioner Rexrod, um, we, we've had uh, a number of discussions, lengthy discussions about that very topic um, and would certainly be open to um, hearing some ideas about how to firm some of that language up. But we wanted to consider a couple things. Um, one was um, decommission reclamation at the end of its project life, whatever that might be. And I think that's a pretty clean um, uh, understanding. I don't think there's much ambiguity in what in what that would in, in the decision of when that was. But we also wanted to consider um, for a couple of other conditions. One was um, should for for whatever reason the operator decide to not use panels that might be installed, whether it's because of their own personal, their, their own business need, whether because of the, the state of the panels themselves, whatever it might be, that, that, that if we determined that they were not generating for a period of 12 months, that would automatically put them into a state where um, they would be subject to decommission automatically trigger that. Now, is it possible for them to come back? Is it possible for them to, as you say, kick the can down the road? I suppose there's some, um, I suppose that is a possibility, Commissioner Shanklin. But again, I I, I know, I, I think I speak for the, the rest of the ad hoc group, we'd certainly be open to hearing any ideas about how to firm that language up that might make that less of a concern. Yeah, I, I think you, I, I, what I, I think I suggested before is, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting a, a dialogue box that says my internet connection is unstable. I apologize for that. Um, what I had uh, tried to suggest before is that uh, the standard could be built around uh, generation of a particular amount of, of electricity for sale and the ability to measure that, because I'm not sure that we have actually the ability to go on site um, and measure how much they're producing. And so that would have to be built into the standards as well. Um, but um, I, I like the idea of if certain panels aren't you know, generating electricity, we ought to be able to call you know, a, a, you know, a reclamation as to those particular panels, but I think we do have to have some force and effect behind uh, this idea of, you know, end of use. Um, um, and I, I'd I be have, happy um, to discuss that. Again. I'm sorry, Commissioner Shanklin, I thought you were done. I was gonna, I know Mary Miller has some response to that as well. Sure. Um, since you're you're really breaking up, Commissioner Shanklin, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and let um, Mary Miller respond um, while you're frozen there. Sure. I'm sorry. Mary Miller's planner. Um, in the um, I'm just reading off the draft regs and I'm just looking if you're on the one that shows the changes kind of above number 122 abandonment decommissioning in the very first section, it tries to explain the process for determining. And so it would be up to the director of zoning and codes. And so if it's has not been in use for 12 consecutive months, then the director can issue a notice of abandonment and they have a right to respond within 30 days. So if they intend to use it, 
you know, if they're going to develop a plan to use it. And I think the idea is we don't want to be in a hurry to say you have to take it down if they actually intend to start it back up again. You know, if there's some issue and they're going to start to work, we don't want to have to go through the whole CP process. So it has a lot of flexibility. And we really did talk a lot about should we look at how much energy they're producing and when they fall below a certain amount. But, you know, there could be reasons you fall below a certain amount. And if you plan to generate more later, you know, if the grid is full and you fall below, but you still have the capacity, that would prevent you from having to build another facility elsewhere in the county. You could just ramp back up to your full scale. So we had a lot of trouble. We did really discuss a lot trying to put very specific rules, but instead we had this notice of abandonment and they have the ability to reply that, no, we have not abandoned it and here's our plans. Here's how we're gonna come back into service. And then they can provide that information and at what point they could withdraw that notice of abandonment. So it's kind of, we're trying to do both things, provide them the ability to stay in place if they actually do intend to come back up or increase their service. But we were looking at just absolutely not being in service rather than us having to monitor the amount of electricity that they generate and setting a, a certain level. And then and we would have to watch that if they drop below that. It just puts a lot of uh, oversight on the, the facility. But I think there could be other changes to this to make it a little bit more information about how we would determine if it's been abandoned or, but I do like the fact that we built in the flexibility for that, the operator. But Commissioner Shanklin again, th thank you, Mary. Um, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that there is no definition for end of use such that if the operator wanted to say, well, it's still generating some electricity at a lot of hours, we don't have to begin the reclamation process. And there would be no way under this definition for us to compel that that process start because there's no definition for end of use. I mean, you're the way I think you're describing it is they have to completely walk away from the property. No, actually, and the, under number 17, the very end of that, it's, you know, you can, it's um, in the event they're not in use and at the end of the lifespan of the conditional use permit. So the conditional use permit, if it's for 25 years, at that time, they need to do their decommissioning. However, they have the option to come back and file another CUP and request an extended time frame. So, if they do that, then they wouldn't have to do the decommissioning until if they've got an extension, or if they do a new CP and get additional time, that's when it would kick in. So it is at the end of the lifespan of the conditional use permit. Does that further answer your question? Mr. Shanklin? I, I, I mean, it, we'll, we'll, I guess, decide whether that's acceptable or not. It doesn't satisfy me, but I'm not the only one here. Um, I, I guess the other thing that um, I, I'm really still puzzled about is that somebody who doesn't um, present any evidence of actually owning an interest in a piece of property can apply for a permit to do anything with it. Um, and that we don't get to look at the leases. We, we don't have any assurance at all um, of what the content of these leases are. 
And I, in, in my world as, as a, a real estate finance lawyer, um, I would be troubled if somebody said they had a ground lease but wouldn't show it to me. Um, it, 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 because at, at the end of the day, if um, we ask them to undertake reclamation of the property and they say, oh, our lease ran out or our lease was terminated, um, we don't have any rights against the landowner. Um, we have the rights, our, our rights are solely against an out-of-state entity that, uh, you know, we, we've done our best, as Commissioner Rexroad said, to be partners with them, but they are out-of-state. They have no commitment to Kansas, and, and that just troubles me. I, I think that we should be looking harder at how to get the landowners engaged in this. Um, they're the ones that are, you know, ultimately benefiting from the, the solar radiation that impacts their properties. Um, why can't they be on the hook too? So, just a thought there. Um, beyond that, other comments? Um, we refer to brownfields in a section on ag land. I think there must be a better place for that because it really doesn't fall into the property that we're describing. Um, I'm so sorry, Commissioner Shanks, can you say Thanks. that again? What what section were you concerned with? We, we refer to brownfields in the in the initial wow. section on ag land. Yeah, and I think there's probably a better place for that. But I know our attempt to add um, brownfields in there is to to encourage um, the use of sites like that. Um, where that goes in the document, I, I, bring that back to staff. But certainly, yeah. the reason that's there is to to have that be um, an attractive option. I think I cut myself off as I was talking, so sorry about that. Um, but yes, we're we were hoping to encourage and uh, use of brownfields. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I I think it's a great idea. I just think that. It, the, the the context is wrong for but that's just just a drafting matter it's for me thank you and i would like to say this is commissioner ashworth that somewhere in the document that i was just looking for um we do have that leases and lease agreements will be on file Commissioner Carpenter may know where that is. I, uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, I don't know exactly where that is, but I do know that we have some requirements in there that some of the documentation be presented to the planning director. Um, any waivers, I mean, any very modifications that are land use agreements between uh, either participating or non-participating property owners with the operator. With all those have to be turned over to the planning director. They will be filed with the register of deeds. So anything that encumbers property, we want filed with the register of deeds. And Commissioner Sankin, if we haven't specifically picked up the actual leases, that's something we're going to have to look at and run by the county attorney because I think we have a few outstanding questions with the county attorney about some of these issues right now on how we can address them. Um, 
and again, any of those that have to be filed with uh, with the registrar IDs, it's all the information to be turned over to the planning director. Uh, the county planning office will actually file them at the expense of the operator. So we're we're trying to make sure that we give notice to future purchasers and landowners about any encumbrances on their land. But you've come up with a couple of topics I think are going to be um, a topic of an a very pretty esoteric ad hoc committee meeting now. So uh, we're going to have to address those. Commissioner Sinclair. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, um, Commissioner. I, I, uh, I guess a question to send back to Commissioner Shanklin and maybe invite him to get back on a soapbox. But uh, the question I have is, I, I, I really appreciate your comments on, you know, not knowing what legal interests the applicant has in the property. And, but it made me think, I, I mean, I, it seems like, it seems like we often have that issue and that we don't require there to be an interest, you know, someone that maybe is thinking of buying a property and they're the one applying for some sort of, uh, a, you know, CUP or rezoning application. Maybe I'm misunderstanding that, but it, to the extent that's true, I was wondering if there's something, you know, specific about solar projects that you had in mind that you really wanted to know as opposed to, you know, a CUP for a, a dog kennel or something like that. Jim Carter, thanks. Just, just to add an example that maybe Commissioner Shanklin can respond to is quite often we see an applicant come in on behalf of a landowner to get a zoning change with which is actually a condition of a future sale. So we're we see quite a few that come through us and then the property's up for sale. So that's just another example that we see quite often. I just wonder how that would go into your comments to try to flesh them out as we talk about this down the road. Greg Shankland, Planning Commissioner. Those are, are really good examples. I, I think that the, the concern that I have here is that um, we're looking at reclamation, you know, some 25 years down the road and don't know all that much about um you know the legal entity that we're dealing with and the applicant um and that should their lease terminate which i as i i have to admit i only did a control f search through the document on the word lease and didn't see that we had an opportunity to review them i thought that the the reference that you made was just to um to, to waivers among property owners um, uh, to particular requirements. Um, but, I, but I guess, yeah, um, that, that's what concerns me here is that the financial stakes are so high. Um, and, you know, in the case where it's a condition to a, a, some subsequent transfer, um, yeah, we're going to bind the property owner ultimately on those. Um, in, in the case of the solar farm, we don't have the power to buy the property. So, yeah. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, we don't have uh, the county attorney here tonight, and I wish, or Ben Harris, who's county codes and enforcement. But I think with regard to the actual leases, 
Um, that's something where I think I'm sure Mary's taken notes. She's done this the whole time through. I don't know how she keeps up with us and keeps track of what we do, but she's doing it. And it's something that we should probably run by the county attorneys. Uh, what authority do we have to put in here uh, that the actual leases be provided to the planning director? Uh, we know that these leases all have non-disclosure agreements in them and we don't know. So there are part aspects of this that I just don't understand with my knowledge of, of this area of the law specifically that has to do with the leases and what we can and can't get about private leases for the land. But I, I hear the, the concern that we don't know if there's an actual right to um, place this facility on any individual land unless we see those leases. So it's something I think we're gonna have to get an answer to. So Mary, we've seen this before or in your experience and are there ways to deal with this? Yes, we've had, um, we've had CUPs come in on properties that the people don't own the property. We've had people that rent land and they've done CUPs and we all we have a thing called the owner authorization form, which is what the owner signs that saying they have my permission to ask for the CUP on this property. So that's one way we make sure that they do have the right. You know, they've, they've given them the right to do it. And um, I think it's an interesting question. I know with quarries, a lot of times they operate on leased lands, and and we've never gotten their leases. But I think if we were going to expand it to where we wanted to see their leases, I think we would have to write in here what we were looking at, because we don't want to start evaluating how much money people are making off of it, or you know, what is it we're looking for in the lease? I, I think if we were gonna draft language to include it, we'd also wanna know why we're asking for it and what are we going to look at in it? Yes, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think because of the NDA provision where we did negotiate this with them, they would probably uh, want to at least redact the the price terms. Um, but um, we could come up with a list of things we want to see. I don't want to get hung up on actually, you know, the review of the lease so much as I think we need to bind the property owners at the end of the day. Um, I mean, they need to know that when they terminate that lease, they still have an obligation to reclaim uh, and that that's not being shifted to the taxpayers. And I just want to, Mary Miller Planner, I just want to ask you a question. You know, we have the bond and the surety, you know, to cover the cost of reclamation decommissioning in case the operator you know, goes bankrupt or just leaves. Are you suggesting there be another one? Because that's how the county would probably reclaim it is with that money. Is that in case it's not enough, then you would want it to go back and fall on the property owner? Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm almost 100% certain that it won't be enough. And sure, that's that's how I would expect that we would we would finish the job is um, by a lien against the landowner's property if we had that right. I mean, I, I've done enough of this that I, I know that estimates are always low, bonds are always insufficient. I mean, you can predict it with some certainty. Commissioner Shanklin. 
Okay, thank you. I think we have a, um, a few things now on our list um, to discuss again in ad hoc and uh, with planning staff. Uh, Commissioner Sinclair. Can I, can I just raise a, a couple other ones? Is that okay? <laughs> They're minor. One of them is Luke Sinclair chair. Um, one of them is the, uh, the extraordinary event um, term that was added <clears throat> and it requires the operator to notify zoning and codes if there is an extraordinary event and then provide, you know, basically what they're going to do to mitigate it. But it gives um, zoning and codes uh, the right to, you know, require additional mitigation steps. <clears throat> and to that end, I was wondering if it would be worthwhile including language in there that required the operator to notify zoning and codes within a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, either promptly or within, you know, promptly, but in, but no later than X amount of days. I don't know what's reasonable in that case. I mean, I, based on what we've heard from some of the other um, uh, outfits that do these things, it, it, I think they monitor them remotely. And so I would assume that they would have a sense pretty quickly if there was some sort of event that had impacted the, the solar panels. And if that's the case, it seems like we could expect them to notify zoning and codes quickly so that um, so that zoning and codes wouldn't be impaired in their ability to sort of jump on board and require additional steps to mitigate if they if they felt that was necessary. Um, a good catch. And an easy fix. <laughs> uh, the other one was it, it, right immediately after the extraordinary event section, it talks about uh, the reviews that'll be done. You know, the one year after the uh, um, release of the certificate of occupancy and then five years after that, every five years after that. Um, and the, the uh, right now the, the section indicates that the reviews shall be conducted by a third party that's, you know, engaged by the county or um, and, and financed by the operator. Uh, and I was wondering if there was, uh, if the use of shall was intentional as opposed to may. I, I mean, I know that Tanya Boyd has indicated in the past that, that doing these reviews would stretch them in terms of their resources, but I didn't know if it, if there were, I'm not sure if we can predict that they may never want to be doing those reviews. And I didn't know if it'd be worthwhile leaving that as a possibility and saying that they may engage in their discretion, I guess, uh, um, a third party. That may be, that probably is not a big deal, but it just jumped out of me. I was maybe trying to not bind the board of county commissioners in their ability to do these things um, to a very, like we're handling it specifically, but I'm open to hearing what Mary has to say. Mary Miller, I think that's a, a good idea because, you know, we could have a 30 acre facility that we do feel confident in doing these reviews. So I think maybe saying may, because when it comes to the planning commission, that's when you decide if it's may or shall depending upon what the type of facility is and what zoning codes are recommending. So I think if we, we put May, it could later become a shall, you know, once we go through the, the review. Commissioner Carpenter, you had unmuted yourself. Did you have something else to say? 
And then well, Jim, Carmen, Planning Commission, I, I'll defer to Commissioner Rexroad first. Commissioner Rexroad, um, to the point that Commissioner Sinclair, Chair Sinclair brought up, um, uh, as we've gone through this, I think we've recognized that there are there are aspects of a project this size that our county hasn't taken on before. Um, there are questions about um, current staff's ability to to handle manage this. There's current there's questions about uh, what you know what might we need different in emergency services. There are things that likely will come before the county commission as what I would describe as a policy question or a budget question on how they're going to make sure that we're funded appropriately to manage these installations and where those costs are going to fall. And Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, that's also the ability of the county is also was a factor that went into the size that was chosen of a thousand acres. And the fact is that we're not limiting the number of conditional use permits that an individual could apply for, but we're dividing it up into bite-sized pieces, so to say, that are manageable for a review. Because as Commissioner Butler brought up, these are gonna be long meetings when they come to us. It's an incredible amount of information that's required and that's gonna be in these packets. And, <clears throat> And a lot of opportunity, a lot of public input will happen at that time. A lot of discussion about specific conditions or changes in wording will happen at that time. And uh, these are probably going to be, you know, this is going to be the sole topic for some meetings when these come through, I imagine. But like I said, if you look at, we've also been following Johnson County and what they've been doing. They put a hard and fast limit on a thousand acres. Everything has to be in the thousand acres. There has to be so much distance in between those. They put, um, they're recommending two miles out from every city. And there is a map, the very map that's in the next Johnson County Planning Commission packet is in our packet tonight. Somebody submitted it. Um, there's very little land left in Johnson County where these facilities will be possible. I think Ben Harris calculated that probably at a maximum, they would have three 1,000 acre projects possible in Johnson County. But that may have changed because DeSoto annexed the Sunflower Ammunition Plant, which changed the buffer areas. And there is one solar company that's been working with DeSoto that's gonna be building there. So we, there's a lot of dynamics going on about what might actually happen in this county. But, and, and I would also point out one other factor that's built into these regulations is each subsequent uh, CUP application for our scale solar that comes in, one of the criteria we have to evaluate is the cumulative impact on the county. So we didn't put a hard and fast cap on a number of acres. It's something that we're gonna have to look at as we go. And some of that's gonna change with you know the membership of the Planning Commission and the County Commission. We know that because that's gonna turn into some real policy issues that have to be considered in balancing those land uses out there. 
as you all know, we already have the requirement that anything that comes in is within three miles of one of the other cities, well, any of the cities. So this would include if it's out in this, you know, somewhere out in the county, but within three miles of Lawrence, we're already hearing that. Um, Eudora, Baldwin City, Lecompton, if we're within three miles, we're going to pull their planning process into this to discuss it, uh, to evaluate their future uh, plans and possible expansion as opposed to putting in a hard and fast, no facility within this two mile area, which is what's being discussed in Johnson County. So some of what we're doing has been bouncing off of what we've been seeing in Johnson County. In fact, we had one meeting with Johnson County planners were at the meeting with Douglas County planners and they were kind enough to let us attend and observe and participate. So we've we've seen that and a couple of us have actually spoken at the Johnson County Planning Commission meetings about this too. So there's a lot going on. That's a long answer to get to where I don't know, other than that. <clears throat> Commissioner Thomas. Um, when I went through this doc, uh, Commissioner Charlie Thomas, when I went through the document, there were th things that I wrote out beside. Is it possible for us to go through this document just page by page to say, hey, this is great, Anybody have questions about this and move on? Otherwise, I can skip around and tell you the things that I was concerned about. Um, you go right ahead and pick out the places that you have a question of about, and we'll do our best to answer. Okay, if you look at number 10 and under number 10, site area three, Says the footprint of the solar facility, including the various solar modules, whether on property that is commonly owned slash controlled or otherwise. I'm not sure what the otherwise is. And that's on page seven. Uh, Mary Miller, I believe our intent was to show that it didn't all have to be under one ownership. So it could be under property that is commonly owned, controlled, or that is under separate ownerships. You know, it doesn't have to all be owned by one person was our point, I believe, unless the committee remembers that differently. But I think that was the point we we're trying to make. So I it otherwise just didn't make any sense to me. Okay. To just have the word otherwise there is. We can, we can clarify that. Okay. Um, this, I think many of the things that I was concerned about have already been spoken to. So I will skip to page. It's on page 19 why transfer of operator. So the last sentence on that page says, the transferee shall also, well, one before that, all CUP transferees shall be required to meet the same conditions as the original operator. I would insert 
at least the same in the 25 years that this facility will be operating I am sure we will have gained new information and knowledge about solar panels, solar arrays, and to transfer this um, facility to some other entity with 20 year old or 15 year old information. So I would like us to be able to include new information all CUP transferees shall be required to meet at least the same conditions as the original operator, rather than just leaving it the same conditions. So that was one of the things. Um, again, some of them that I have, we've already talked about. What on page 26, at the top of the page under number seven, VII, what is be required to submit a tier two? I didn't know what a tier two was. Um, I would assume, uh, this is Mary Miller, I assume Karen really might have to answer that. That is something the fire chiefs had us put in there. So it's a specific fire district term. I myself don't know what it is, but it's something that it's in their jargon. And uh, Karen, can you explain that more? I'll try. Uh, Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, it's actually language that came from the uh, Douglas County Emergency Management, and it has to do with the hazmat or hazardous materials. Um, so if it if hazardous materials meet a certain threshold, then there's a, another set of requirements that are automatically triggered. So it's referring to that. And frankly, that's above my pay grade as a volunteer <laughs> firefighter. Um, but that's that's the uh, where that language came from. Yeah, I, Commissioner Thomas, I just wasn't sure what that was and so maybe that could be clarified um, again moving on then i'm going to skip ahead to go to page 75 these are some suggestions that um came from the group that thinks they will be impacted. On page 75, there is just one, um, on mine, it's a, a red text. It essentially says the argument that the solar companies are making and some other individuals are that no property values near the uh, solar farm, will the valuation be affected by having the farm here? I read the um, Rhode Island study. There were two studies that were quoted, one from the University of Texas at Austin, one from Rhode Island. And that study says, yes, property values will be affected adversely um, the closer to the solar arrays, they said the property values went down about 7%. Uh, 
further away a mile, it was uh, one and a half percent, I believe it was at the 1.7 percent. And one of the arguments that this study makes is that it is, again, part of taking care of the people near the solar array. Um, if the valuation of their houses do decrease, uh, we are having the, the solar companies test the soil before and after they're installed. We're having them test the individual wells before and after they're installed. We're having them test the soil before and after they're installed. But if the house prices do decrease in value, then um, that needs to be addressed. And this, on page 75 does address that. And the very last sentence, county property appraisals and property taxes will be reduced based upon negative property value impacts from utility scale solar should they occur. I think that needs to be included. We are looking out for soil, we're looking out for water, we're looking out for livestock. Let's look out for for the families that have their houses around these solar farms. And I would like to see that included. So that's, that's one of the things. Uh, the the um, Rhode Island study does talk about it, it is, um, and that's on page 76, how costly it is for individuals to have their property appraised. And I have no reason to, to doubt that. On page 73, number 36, and I know that um, the ad hoc committee has, has looked at this on when should sampling be done Here's another suggestion on when it sample should be taken a year after the facility has become operational, then every two years after that for the life of the facility. That is not what we wrote. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to it, but is there merit in sampling more frequently? Uh, on page 74, number 39, um, they were suggesting that you could only do construction during daylight hours between eight and five, Monday through Friday. I, I didn't agree with that. And just as a, as a little side note there. Um, Page 71, number 30, talks about when would notices be sent out. The notice shall be sent by regular mail and I think certified mail. These letters that are being sent out, I think are important enough to be sent out by certified mail so we know that 
uh, the individuals received them. So I think that would be a, a good change. Uh, on page 70, number 30, and I'm anybody could could speak to this. I just don't remember it being in our regulations about housing density. I know Mary talked about it some, but how is is housing density one of the things that um, we looked at? Page sixty nine. Number 30, the bottom of the page. Do we have any requirements for where they get their solar panels and the materials? Develop, developer projects must use at least minimum 50% United States manufactured, not assembled solar panels, inverters, and battery storage. Is that even anything we can do? I thought that was a... a uh, I thought that was something we should look at anyway. Chair um, Willie, Planning Commissioner. Yeah. Commissioner Thomas, do you mind if I respond to that one? Oh, heavens no. Okay. Um, so that was one that I kind of brought up and probably and at least somewhat based on on these comments that came in. And and we we really like working outside of our box of land use and we keep kind of getting put back in it. And that was one where um, I wanted to talk about, you know, the local where, how the many how the panels are manufactured and where there's there are a, a fair number of them that are manufactured with forced labor in China and how do we monitor that and know that and uh, and some of course are built in the United States or Canada or other places um, but we at least our legal staff I believe um, kind of shut us down on that one I don't know then what level of accountability we can give that and maybe it doesn't come from the planning commission exactly maybe it comes from um, the public paying attention and bringing that forward because we will know when they submit a, a plan uh, what uh, panels they're planning to use and there's there's homework that could be done there we could probably bring it up at that time but we didn't get very far with them being able to put it in the regulations commissioner thomas i since i don't have a legal background i had no idea whether it's legal or not i just thought sounded like a good idea to me so some of the suggestions that were turned into us, I, I when I read them, I thought some of them made sense. Maybe some of them I didn't understand. I will go through it again and look at it before we have our, our next meeting. But those are the things, Commissioner Ashworth, that I had noted when I went through the document. Thank you very much for pointing all that out and pointing those details out. Um, this is exactly what we were looking for, some of these not only bigger questions, um, but some of the smaller questions, um, because this is our opportunity to really go through this with the whole planning commission rather than um, just four of us. And we really need to know what questions and concerns um, the group has before we come back again um, to the commission um, with hopefully a final draft um, that will involve um, public comment and a vote um, on whether or not to accept these standards before it goes to the county commission. Uh, so, uh, so thank you. Um, 
would anybody else like to um, tackle? The big issues, little issues, um, word choices. Uh, we spent a lot of time on word choices, <laughs> you know, parsing things and very detailed. And that, you know, it means it, it's important. Um, sometimes it's the difference between one word uh, can make a difference in how it's interpreted. So we're trying to be very, very careful um, with how these things are interpreted. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but there's a lot of lawyers on this commission who know, understand that. So um, if you have even the smallest suggestion, please do put it out there. Again, Commissioner Thomas, I would say I certainly appreciate the work that, that you did. You collectively did. City staff, the ad hoc committee, calling in people. Um, the detail things escaped me at times. So I, I appreciate, Commissioner Ashworth, your comments about individual words and uh, the detail of it. But I, I appreciate what you did. And you, Mary for doing that, I, I, I certainly appreciate it. At this point, um, I want to say if there's no further comments, questions, lingering doubts, whatever, um, out there, uh, I want to try to summarize um, what we will go back to the ad hoc and planning staff with. So I'm going to ask others in the planning commission to make sure we get all these down um, so that we know what we'll be talking about at our next meeting. I'm going to mangle this list a little bit. And it'll be very short um, and very brief, uh, but so we can flesh this out. I have down on my list questions um, referring to the general character of a rural area. Um, I have uh, questions about how agrivoltaics, oh, I knew I was going to do that at some point tonight. Agrivoltaics are encouraged. We had questions regarding the length of the CUP. Uh, we had questions regarding um, the reclamation process and how that gets started. Uh, what is the definition of end use? Uh, we have the question about um, our ability or inability to look at leases and what sort of information will be on file, the register of deeds. Um, we have uh, some of the more sort of um, details, word choices, um, placement in the document. We're referring to brownfields. Um, extraordinary events in terms of the time frame of that. Uh, and I cannot read my writing on that one. Um, property values were also um, a question to address. Uh, what am I missing? Anything else? I just want to make sure we, we know what we're going back with. And so that because this is public record, um, those that will view this session later know what we're going back with and what we're considering because people are going to be writing in um, further comments. Uh, Mary? Yeah, there were a few more and that um, 
Commissioner Thomas just made, you know, as far as can we address the change in housing values and should sampling be done every two years through the life of the facility? And should notices be sent out by certified mail? And do we look at housing density? Um, that's probably when we consider the character of the area or and any requirements where they get their panels. And so, um, and then also in the definition of, uh, what's the definition of, oh, of side area, putting down that it, instead of using the term otherwise, just specify it could be under different ownership. Mm -hmm. So I think those are basically it. Oh, and there's one about making, um, seeing if the owners, making sure that there's a way that the operator is responsible for reclaiming the land, but if the bond is too little, looking into whether or not that would fall then upon the property owner or some other way to make up if it, it's not enough. I know we, we put things in where we would actually reevaluate the bond every five years, but if we're, if we're still too little, do we want that responsibility to fall on the property owner? So we'd have to look at that. Thank you, Mary. I didn't even attempt to write all that down on that one. So <laughs> make any sense of that. So thank you. Um, so anybody else want to chime in with something we need to look at um, when we bring this back to the ad hoc and planning staff? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I, I noted just a couple of others. Um, uh, there was a change of the word otherwise or look at that language around uh, whether it's leased or owner, owned land. land. Um, then there was that or otherwise and just to make sure that that has the clarity that it needs. Um, and then there was the uh, transfer of operator if we if that is an opportunity to update requirements or if that has to stay the same um, that's something to look at that was in uh, section y and then to offer some clarity on that tier two language from in um, emergency management to make sure that that is easily understandable Okay, if there are no um, other additions to that, that's what we will go back with. Um, I will remind everybody that um, the next steps uh, where we will go back with this information, we will look over the document again. Uh, we will be receiving um, written public comment uh, from commissioners, uh, from the public. Uh, we This will come back before the commission, the planning commission for public comment and um, hopefully a vote to whether or not to send this, our recommendation on to the Board of County Commissioners, where there will be again another opportunity for public comment. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, please review in detail and, and send us any comments you want. I'm going to ask if uh, the chair of the ad hoc committee, Commissioner Carpenter, has any last minute thoughts before I turn this back over to the chair of the planning commissioner, Commissioner Sinclair. Uh, Jim Carpenter, planning commissioner. I, I wanna thank everybody for taking all the time that you obviously did reading through this document and coming up with um, some comments and some questions. It's as any of you that do a lot of research in a particular area know, by the time you come to write it down, um, you have a lot of information in your head, so you don't usually write it all out. 
So that's that's the value of having public you know, other eyes look at this and to point out where things don't quite make sense or the definitions are a little bit loose. So uh, we really appreciate that. This is a, a big collaborative process and you're part of that right now. And I see Commissioner Shankwell has something to add, but I just want to also say for anybody that's watching tonight or watches a video later on, we would like the same from you. If you read through this and you see discrepancies or something you don't understand, please forward that to county planning staff. I, it will get to, this, to the ad hoc committee. We will look at it. And if it's something that we can clarify or address, we will certainly do so. That will certainly be pointed out in the red line copy as well as the clean copy that comes back to the next um, meeting for discussion. So we're, I think, I want to thank everybody else on the ad hoc committee for all the time they put in as you've gathered from this. This has been time intensive, uh, but it's also been extremely interesting and it's really been a privilege for us to work so closely with staff and to see how they work and understand these processes better and the fact that they will answer and gather any information that we've asked. We have asked for some strange things and we get it back very quickly. And uh, I, can't, I can't express <laughs> Um, the gratitude and the appreciation we have for that. And I'm so happy that they've been willing to put up with us through this process because this is slightly different for them to do too. And I guess we should pick up what Commissioner Shanklin has to say, but I'd also like to get any comments from uh, the other members of the ad hoc committee before we end our work session that they might want to add to this. And from Mary. <clears throat> Mr. Shanklin. If I may, uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, I, I'm confused about something, and so I just want to make sure I understood uh, what uh, Commissioners Ashworth and Carpenter said about submitting comments, because I thought I heard Commissioner Ashworth say, send comments to you, and I've been really careful because of the sunshine on the ad hoc committee. No. Um, Planning, I didn't planning send staff. anything to you, um, but then is it okay to send it to send it to planning staff? Good, yes. I will do that. Yes. Yes, uh, I, Jim Carpenter, planning commissioner. I just add we've set up a process that anything that comes from another commissioner can go to planning staff. They will not share it with us. It will be part of the packet, and that will be the first time we see it. But it could end up being part of what they suggest. And Commissioner Shanklin, you're pretty interested in the legal aspects of bonding and reclamation, and that's really beyond the land use part. Um, other than we have provisions in there that say that this is going to happen, and usually those are contract negotiations between the county itself and the operator. But anything you send in, I'm sure we'll get to the county attorneys and they will review that and if they have suggested changes in language it's going to end up being reflected as a recommendation from staff 
the next time. We may not have the actual opportunity to review it so we don't violate coma, but we will get additional recommendations from staff in their staff report that come back with the, um, we hope, <laughs> close to final version of these regulations the next time. All right then, um, I'm going to turn this meeting back over to Chair Sinclair because we still have a little bit of business um, beyond this work session. So thank you everyone and back to Chair Sinclair. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. And thank you, Ad Hoc Committee. Um, again, it's very much appreciated and I've enjoyed this discussion tonight and look forward uh, to talking about it more. Um, so the last thing we have is uh, miscellaneous new or old business. Is there anything that we need to consider? Um, any other miscellaneous items that need to be considered? Commissioner Carpenter. Am I there? I hope I'm being heard. My computer says I'm muted. So I hope you hear me. Um, in our work as an ad hoc committee, we have looked at the existing wind regulations for the county. Um, they're a well-drafted document, and, but we have found, and we actually lifted some language from those regulations to, to help or to actually use in the solar regulations, but we've also identified some discrepancies um, that we're creating with our new proposed regulations. Um, I don't think Tanya is here, but Mary can possibly bring up some of those issues that have come up in our discussions. So one of the things we're going to ask tonight is if the commission as a whole would consider directing its staff uh, revisit the wind regulations and bring them into conformity with some of the values and ideas that we have in the solar regulations and there also has been brought up several times technological changes that we may need to address and i just asked mary to get some of the examples that have been noted by staff that we might want to look at and mary miller i'm afraid i'm not really up to speed on that i know that taller towers were an issue we have setbacks uh, they're pretty much a proportion of the turbine and the tower height and i think the idea was to make sure those are adequate and also we have a a distance between the turbine and the ground they want to make sure those are still adequate given the different in the size and um, just looking at impacts of the facilities and i think going going through and just making sure all the um all the conditions are up, up to date with the way the technology is today. There may not be a lot of changes, but just a few things that we'd want to come back into yeah. to kind of um, update. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I think the idea was this is a would be a very targeted review by staff or otherwise as directed by the Planning Commission. And I believe Jeff when we brought this up, um, we would have to have a motion to, and I, I guess we're calling it a text amendment or a possible text amendment to the 
wind regulations to bring them into conformity and up to date uh, prior to getting any applications. No applications have been filed yet that we're, I'm aware of, and that can be confirmed by Jeff or Mary. I don't think we have any. There have been some inquiries, but no actual applications. Um, so as I'm hoping that we could get a motion uh, to do that review and update. And then if we do that, then we wanna consider how we would do that. <clears throat> So if anyone wants to discuss this item or matter. <laughs> Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter, when you say, uh, and I'm jumping ahead, but when you say commit, consider how to do it, what do you mean by that? That would either be there, the commission and it, under our bylaws, as explained to us by Jeff, when we discussed this, it would be at your discretion whether you would appoint an ad hoc committee to work on this, what we hope would be a quick turnaround, or if you would just direct that staff review it and present a staff report as we have done with you know, many other text amendments. That seems to be at your discretion. <laughs> Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, I, from what you know so far, and I guess from what I've heard a little bit, is that is the expectation that um, it would be as, uh, I mean, I, well, I'll take a step back. Since we're, <laughs> since we're creating the solar text amendment almost out of whole cloth, uh, I don't think we're doing that with the wind, um, the wind. And so it shouldn't be as monumental like literally monumental a task. Um, and so we've done, a, I mean, we've done a fair number of text amendments without having to do an ad hoc committee. These, the Lisa and this one are just sort of, and the solar ad hoc committee are sort of special, um, I think. And so unless from your perspective, having been exposed to these as you've gone through the work you've done on, <coughs> excuse me, on the, on the ad hoc committee, if it doesn't seem like it's, and be in the ballpark of that, I, you know, I would be inclined to just, assuming we want to, you know, have, have a motion and actually direct staff to do something, just have it done the way we normally do text amendments. And then if it actually turns out that it is a big undertaking and we need more attention and more discussion, maybe we could at that point consider splitting four people off. Yeah, this, this is Jim Carpenter playing picture. I, I think that the, areas that have been identified are relatively small in number and it's just to bring some make sure that our definitions match up that we've addressed these height issues that setbacks are adequate i mean it's it's just some technical things it's not like going out and learning a whole new um area as we've had to do for the solar so you know i'm inclined that you know if I'd be comfortable with staff bringing it forward the way we do, and then we have a discussion. And if we get stuck, then we could, or other issues come up, then we could talk about whether we need to do expand uh, the type of input we seek, like we did for the solar. So I'd be happy just with initiating the text amendment to bring everything into conformity with each other. <clears throat> Luke Sinclair Chair, thanks Commissioner Carpenter. Um, 
any other commissioners have thoughts on that or uh, feelings of opposition to, to doing a motion to direct staff to do that? Commissioner Willie? Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, I, I certainly feel the pressure to make this uh, quick. Um, I mean, I mean, fully public, full, you know, um, um, input from the public if we, as we can get it. But I, I do think, you know, the, the solar amendment took time and necessarily took time because I consider inventing it out of whole cloth. Um, this one, I think uh, it, it, it's close. It just needs a few, it just needs a little bit of attention. So I'd say, uh, however you want to do it, I think, um, I think time should be part of what's considered. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Commissioner Willie. Um, maybe a question for you, Jeff. When we when we direct staff to sort of uh, look into something along these lines, is it possible or even helpful to ask or, or to put a time limit on it, or do we just is it enough just to say, hey, we can you guys look at this and we'd love to get it back as quickly as possible? <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. The direction of, you know, as soon as possible from the commission. I think we're hearing that tonight and, and we're, we're hearing that loud and clear on our side. And we can definitely um, shuffle some things about them, make sure that we get them back with some some due speed and course on there. So that that's a good enough direction for us to know how to the commission's preference on that item. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you, Jeff. And I guess to follow up on that, you know, staff working, staff being, um, tasked with another project. I understand um, taxes, resources, obviously, and you guys have a lot going on. I mean, is that, is there anything that would, you probably couldn't answer this now, but maybe you could. Is there anything that would have to take a back seat if you were to prioritize that? Um, maybe things that we've wanted to be a priority in the past? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. We do have some capacity to move around some other work that's going on, some some other text moves that are smaller or not uh, citizen initiated that we can kind of, um, you know, kind of bring the heat down on those a little bit to kind of make space to accommodate this one. I don't have any concerns about um, staffing or, or workload at this point based on kind of what we're talking about. And, and kind of to your point, we're, we're, it's, it's an amendment that was done uh, about five or six years ago, and so it's it needs a little bit of a refresher. It wouldn't be, I don't think, a complete rewrite. So I think we should be able to accommodate that and get that back to you relatively quick. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Do any other commissioners have any thoughts on this? <clears throat> um, I mean, if there are no concerns, I, I guess I would. Uh, I mean, I, I would call for a motion. Commissioner Ashworth. Um, if I can say this properly, um, I move that the Planning Commission directs staff to initiate a text amendment for wind energy standards. I'm not sure if I should define that a little more detailed. Luke Sinclair Chair. I mean, Jeff, is that, do you think that's sufficient? <clears throat> or Commissioner Carpenter, too, uh, is the one who sort of brought this to our attention? I, I'll defer to Jeff. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. I, if I'm following 
the text amendment direction correctly, and Commissioner Ashford, please correct me if I'm wrong here, it's to review and amend the existing regulations and not scrap them, is that correct? Correct. Okay. To initiate review of the wind energy standards. Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Yeah, that gives us enough direction to, to get the amendment underway and, and, and guidance to go forward. Okay. Luke Sinclair Chair. <clears throat> so that was a, uh, a motion to initiate a text amendment, or no, to direct staff to initiate a text amendment and undertake a review of standards, um, the wind energy standards, uh, and for purposes of updating them. Um, is there a second? Commissioner Carpenter seconded that by hand motion. Any other comments before we vote on that? Um, okay, well then, Jeff, could you call the roll on it? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, very good. Thank you for that. Um, and that, well, before I move on, is there any other miscellaneous new or old business that we need to tend to? Seeing any anything on your end, Jeff? Jeff Craig Planning Development Services. Uh, staff has nothing else for this evening. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair. Then um, that's it for the evening. Uh, could we have a a motion to recess until Wednesday? So moved. <laughs> Luke Sinclair Chair, it's been moved and seconded. How about a vote? Um, Jeff, could you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Payton? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Commissioner Willie. Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Very good. Thank you all so much. And I guess we'll see you Wednesday night.